Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lechtenstein. Today we are going to be talking primarily about the wearing of hats in halacha, for example. Is there any reason to be wearing a hat for davening anymore when society obviously is not wearing hats, even as a sign of dignity and respect? So why should we be wearing hats for davening and benching and the like? We'll also talk about the wearing of gartels. We'll talk about uh, Hasidish garb, yeshivish garb, and we will talk about even the stripes that we have on our talesim. So we're going to talk about, for example, when it comes to davening, can we get by with just a yarmulke or a kippah, or for those in London, the koppel? Does that suffice? Do we need to wear more? Should secular styles of dress be impacting us and impacting the halacha? What if your parents don't want you to wear a hat and you want to wear a hat? Or what happens if your parents want you to wear a hat and you don't want to wear a hat? And uh, what's more important, davening with a hat or davening with a minion? And should women be wearing hats for davening as well? And as mentioned, we'll talk about stripes on talesim, gartels, and the like as well. We have a number of terrific guests joining us today. We will start out this show with Rav Yitzchak Spivak, who is one of the world's experts in Tanakh, and he will talk about various sources in Tanakh for men wearing head coverings. And then we will go on and speak with the renowned Rabbi Aryeh Leibowitz, who is the Mora de Asra Beis HaKnesis of North Woodmere. He has written on our very topic in his first Sefer, there's more than one, but in his First Sefer, Hakone Olamo, so we look forward to hearing from him. Then we will speak with Rabbi Dr. Tzvi Ron, a popular lecturer and teacher in Yerushalayim. He as well has written on hats in halacha, talish stripes, and Hasidic garb as well. And then we will move over to Silver Spring, Maryland, and speak with the renowned Rabbi Moshe Walter. Always a pleasure having him on the show. He is the Rav of Woodside Synagogue, and he has written extensively on Minhagim and Alacha. And then we will end off the show with Avrami Ellen Bogan. I really enjoyed speaking with him. He is the owner of Hatbox. It's a chain of stores that sell hats and other articles of clothing. And we will talk about styles of hats. Why does it change so often? Is there any halachic significance? Who makes the change? Changes who makes the decisions on what's going to be next when it comes to styles of dress. Should anybody be interested in additional materials on our topic today, I've actually put out a couple svarim on it. It's called Otsar Hakipa, 1500 pages on yarmulkes and hats and etuf head coverings for men. And uh, we will actually post the PDFs of both volumes of Otsar Hakipa on the Headlines website. Just to start off with something uh, on Parshas Tetzaveh. Parshas Tetzaveh is obviously a great link to our topic of garb because we talked about the big day kahuna. We talk about the clothing for the coin gado, for the regular kohanim, and uh, the famous psukim that the, the reason that we have the uh, big day kahuna should be lakavo to litifars for the splendor, for the glorification. And I'm going to focus on uh, one concept by the Sfas MS. He says as follows on the Pasuk, Vasisa big day kodesh making the clothing for the Kohanim, that it's interesting to note that the discussion of the big day kahuna is right next to the discussion, the mitzvah of Shemin HaMenorah is right next to talking about the pure olive oil that we have to light the menorah. And he equates the two. They are similar concepts in the following sense, that the Shemin, the oil for the menorah, represents the purity 
the cleanliness of thought that we need. In our heads, in our minds, in our thoughts, we need the kios. We need clarity, cleanliness, and purity. Why? Shemen zayisach. That's represented by the semen, the clear, pure, without residue, without solace in it. And similarly, we have the big day kahuna, which is for the body itself. It's not for the mind, the brain, the intellect, but it is the lavush of our neshama. That is what we are using to garb ourselves. And similarly, just like we need shem and zayisach, we need that for our brains, our heads, and the like. When it comes to the clothing that we don, that is the clothing of our outer body, but it's the clothing for our neshama that has to be lekavad ulitifar. It has to be a glorification for ourselves as well. In fact, he rivals a pasuk in Kohelis, Behold, Asiu, Begadech, Levanim. At all times, your clothing should be white. Vishemen, Arashcha, Al Yasar, and the Shemen, and the pure oil on your head, it should not be lacking. That's the concept here. We need to be mitakin our thoughts. We need to have cleanliness of thoughts, and we also have to be mitakin our clothing as well, because the clothing has to be dignified, because in that we are covering ourselves, we are covering the Levus. That's the Levus for our neshama. So as mentioned before, the big day kuna is lekavod ulitifaris. It has to be a splendor for us. It has to be dignified. One of the big day kuna for the uh, kohanim is the migbos, which literally nowadays it means a hat. But back then it wasn't literally a hat, but it was a head covering of some sort. And that's going to be our close connection to this week's Parsha. And that's going to be the connection, our topic of the day, talking primarily about hats. So in the Shulchan Aruch, it's interesting to note, in Hilfas Tfilah Simen Tzadi Ches, Sif Dalid, the Shulchan Aruch means a lot of parallels between our Tfilah, our davening, and the Karbanas, and the Avodah, and the Avodah of the base of Mikdash, and the Avodah of the Kohanim. And one of the things mentioned there, Baroi Shilom Malbushim Naim it's proper to have beautiful clothing designated specially for davening kagon big day kahuna just like the clothing of the kahuna so too when it comes to our head coverings just like the mikbos just like the special mitznefes of the kohen god or the kohanim so too we should have a hat we should have something that is dignified when it comes to davening so that is going to be a primary topic we're going to talk about today but having said that this is a very, very complicated topic in the sense that I just mentioned. We should have a hat, but is that true? Because if you look through a number of Gemaras, we can read them in different ways. We can read a number of Gemaras saying that you are not required even to have a head covering on, and it's just a Midas Hasidus to have a head covering, which we would call a yamaka, kippah nowadays. Or are those Gemaras taking it as a given that you have a head covering on, that you have something on your head? And in addition, when they talk about head coverings, it's talking talking about something more significant, like a shawl, or nowadays the style would be a hat. So there really are a number of Gemaras that can be read this way, and that can be that read that way. And I'll give one example, a famous Gemara, the Gemara on Shabbos, Kufnu and Vava Mebez, the mother of Na- Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. She was told by the astrologers, Brech Ganavehav, your son is going to be a thief. Obviously not good news. So what did she do in order to counteract that bad news that your child, Reb Nachman, is going to be a thief? He wasn't Reb Nachman at the time. It was little Nachman at the time. And what she did was she did not let him go around with Giluye Reishe, with his literally his head uncovered. And she said to him, I need you to cover your head so that 
you will have Yerushalayim. That head covering, Kasi Reisha, cover your head, that will instill you with a Masa Deshamayim. That will instill you with fear of God and Davin. She said, you need a Davin. You need a Davin that you'll be able to keep in control of the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah won't overcome you. And he didn't understand what she said. He didn't understand why she was imploring him to have the head covering to Davin, the Yetzirah. He didn't really understand it. And there was one day the Gemara told us that he was learning underneath a date palm. It wasn't his date palm. And a wind came and blew off the glima from his head. Glima is a significant head covering, some sort of head covering. And it blew it off from his head. And he looks up and he sees the dates on the palm. And he quickly goes up that tree and he starts eating, even without taking them off, without a brach, he starts gnawing away, stealing, stealing the date palm. So the Maharsha on that Gemara asks as follows, I don't really get it because everyone has to wear a head covering. So what's the Chiddush here that Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak's mother said you have to have a head covering? There's a Gemara in Kedushin that says you have to have a head covering. Everyone has to have a head covering because the Shechina the Malamarosha, the Shechina is above us. So what's the Chiddush here? And he answers as follows that in in fact, Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak's mother wasn't simply insisting he have a head covering. That goes without saying. Everyone has to have a head covering. But in fact, what she insisted was that he have a more significant head covering to really instill with him Yira Shemaim so he should not be a Ganav. And that's why it says Glima. Nafa Glima, he wasn't just wearing a yarmulke, a simple head covering. It was sim- some, something much more significant than that. So what we see from here is that we can understand this Gemara that people are not required to have any head covering. It's simply Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak's mother said you have to have a head covering. Or we can understand it like the Marsha. Everyone had a head covering. But what was more significant with Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak, his mother said you have to have something much bigger, much heavier on your head. That's what is really going to inspire you. That's going to instill your Hashemayim in you. In fact, the Sefer Ben Yada on this Gemara says it was a Kisui Nosaf Alanaog. It wasn't simply a bigger, heavier head covering, but it was an additional that there were two heads head coverings, he had the basic one, and Rav Nachmar by Yitzhak's mother insisted that he have something much more significant. So we see that duality. We can understand this Gemara in one of two ways. I guess I'll just bring another example of this. Uh, the Gemara in Yuma talks about the lottery, the pious that they used to do in the base of Mictus to give out certain of the uh, services, certain of the avodas to the Kalanim. And it says that they used to stand in the Lishka Sagazis, one of the areas in the base of Mictus. And uh, the way they would do it is the Kalanim would stand around and they would count their fingers. And how would you choose how? What do you kind of count up to? The Kalanim stick out a finger, two fingers, count around. So there was somebody who was orchestrating the lottery there, counting the, and he would decide a number, a set number. He said, okay, I'm going to count to 100. I'm going to count to 100. And then he would symbolize who is, which coin he's going to start with by removing his head covering. That's what the Gemara says. He removed his head covering. And accordingly, he would start with that coin, counting the fingers of the coin standing in the circle around him. So Rabbeinu Tam and Tosfos asked the following question, why didn't they do the pious? Why didn't they do the lottery in the Azar itself? Why were they standing in the place called the Lishka Sagazis? And he says, because it's a ganai, it's a disgrace for somebody to stand in the Azar or the courtyard of the base of Mikdash without a head covering. That would be a disgrace. Accordingly, they used to do the, this lottery in the place called the Lishka Sagazis. It was a, on a lower level of Kedusha than the Azar, than the courtyard of the base of Mikdash. So it's interesting to note 
that we have somebody, a coin apparently, standing there with his head uncovered in a part of the base of Mictus, totally uncovered. Is that what we can understand from there? Or the Prima Gudim comes and tells us, in fact, that's not what's going on here. When they used to remove his Mitznefes, which is the larger head covering of a coin, he, in fact, had a smaller hat underneath it. So Chas Vashalom, he should be standing there without any head covering. He just removed the larger head covering, but there was a second head covering that was covered there. So again, we have this duality. We could understand this Gemara one way, that he was standing there without any head covering in the Lishkas Agazis, one of the, one of the areas in the base of Mikdash. On the other hand, the Prima Gunim is telling us, no, that's not the case. There wasn't the coin there standing with no head covering. He had a smaller head covering on his head, and the uh, Beged Kahuna that they used to wear, the Migbaos, the Mitznefes, was something more significant on top. In fact, the Rambam is interesting. He says on this, that they used to take the Mitznefes off the coin. It's not that he used to stand there, Begilu Yarosh, this is the, the, the Rambam in Hilchas Tamidim Musafi, but rather the Mamuna, the person orchestrating the lottery, would take off the hat of the Kohen and put it back on. Machsiri, he, put it, he didn't stand there with his head uncovered, it was put right back on. So again, this is part of the complexity of our topic, that we can read Gemaras and concepts as they had no head covering, and when it talks about a head covering, that's a midas chasidus. That's what they did. But the default was no head covering required. Or do we go like the Marsha and others that indeed everyone used to wear a head covering. It was required. And when we talk about various head coverings like Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak's mother requiring him to have a glima, that's talking about something in addition, something that was heavier, a second head covering. And that's going to add to the complexity when we talk about is a hat a requirement? Is it a mitzvah? Or does it not mean anything as long as somebody has a proper head covering on like a yarmulke? That is a mirza shem, something that we will cover in detail today on our show. And before we go to the guests, we'll quickly go through the riddle or the riddles of the week. For today's riddle, actually, I'm going to do two riddles, but I'll start with something that just relates to what we talked about. Nowadays, the post games say when it comes to a head covering, not talking about hats, we'll talk about a basic head covering, a yarmulke, a cobble, a hat, whatever it is, whatever head covering, there are various reasons why the post games say it is an absolute requirement nowadays to go with something on our heads. Not talking about size or, or the, how long, how big, whatever it is, but there is a requirement to have a head covering. And the question is as follows, and various reasons given for that is anyone out there who can find a posek that lives in this generation or the prior generation, a bona fide posek who has written on the topic, not has said something, but has written on the topic that says nowadays a head covering is not required. I'm not talking about in the context of a sakana, if you're going by a, a rally uh, for, for whatever anti-Jewish cause, or you're going into a dangerous area, not talking about that, not talking about a potential, although uh, not so relevant nowadays, depending on the location, Hetter for work purposes, but talking about in general, even walking in the street, going places, sitting at home, that there would not be a requirement to wear a head covering at all. I'm looking for a bona fide posting that says that. I have not found that, but if anyone finds it, uh, please send it in to us. That is riddle number one. Riddle number two is as follows. In Karsha's Truma, there is a remez. There is a remez to, in a few words, a remez to wear to when we need to read the Kriyasa Torah, when we have the opportunity to have the Kriyasa Torah throughout the year. So I'm looking for that remez in Parshas 
truma as to where we have a hint as to the Kriya Torah that is done throughout the year. If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now let's go to our wonderful guests. Joining us now is Rav Yitzchak Spivak. Rav Yitzchak was originally from Muncie, is learning now in Eretz Yisrael. He is a Bucky and Tanaf. We happen to learn Morning Seder together. It's my privilege and pleasure to learn Morning Seder with him. And uh, we're at the end of our Morning Seder. And I said to Rav Yitzchak, I'd love to get a little bit input from you on our topic of the day, men's head covering. So Rav Yitzchak, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. So Rav Yitzchak, uh, on a high level, where do we see in Tanakh? I'd like you to go through as uh, my parents by Barak, where do we see the concept prominently or improminently of men's head coverings? Do we see it? Do we see the, the concept that men indeed wore head coverings? So there's not really a specific place that we could point to and say, for here we see that uh, men wore coverings, but it's pretty clear from a lot of the things of Tanakh that it was definitely very normal and considered a kavod to wear, a head covering. Now, so, so give me an example. Well, what's your favorite? So um, we find a lot that the, the Nevi'im uh, wore uh, head coverings um, by Elioa Navi. The Pasuk uh, speaks about Naderes that he wore. Uh, so it's unclear exactly what this Naderes is, but the Pasuk says that he wrapped his face in uh, this Naderes, which would imply that it was something that he wore by his head and his neck that he was able to... Uh, wrap his face in and this this is something that he passed on to Elisha who also uh, who also took the Adaras and in the Pesach in Zechariah when it talks to actually be a Sheker it says which says that the Nevi'a Sheker won't wear this Adaras Seor which which is an, and the Farsham explained over there that this was something that they were the Farsham used the word Ituf that they would they would be misatif with uh, to pretend like they were Nevi'im because that was a Derech of Nevi'im who was considered a Derech Kavod to uh to uh, wrap uh, with uh, this Aderas. Uh-huh. And, and if we globalize it, that's for the Nevi'im, Itu for Nevi'im. How about the, the common man? Do we see examples of men in general or people in general having head coverings in Tanakh? So we find that uh, in Ovil, has to, uh, he uh, has to cover his head. The Pasuk by Yechezkel Hanavi, where we learn a lot of the Dine Abelos, because Hashem tells Yechezkel to specifically not do the things that Avil would normally do when he was at Avil. And the uh, Pasuk says, Pe'erach ha'chabosh alefa. And uh, so Chazal darshan that to talk about the tefillin, but uh, on a more simple level, the Malvim explains that it uh, means just to wear a hat, uh, to wear something to cover your head, because that was uh, the derach to wear as, uh, as, as, that was the derach of regular people to wear, and generally an Avil would take off their pair. Uh, so, so typically, the default is everyone was wearing head coverings, and uh, specifically there, he was told act like the norm, but not like Abelim. Abelim typically would take it off, and you should leave leave it on. Yeah. Okay. Understood. Okay. So that that that's a nice source. That the the the, the norm, at least, not that there's a few to cover a head, but at least that the norm was people would would be covering their heads. 
Right. And we find we, we, we find that uh, it, it's the norm as a derech kavod. So even if someone was to not be wearing a head covering um, as just a regular person, if he wanted to do something bakavodik, he would wear a head covering. The big day kahuna, one of the uh, one, one of the godim is a mitznefes, they would wear a hat. So obviously it's exerus akasov, so we can't really learn from uh, what what the mitzvah is, but we 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 can we can generally assume that the idea of covering your head was considered something that is bakavodik. So you're saying we can't learn from the kohanim, even even when we're davening, we couldn't learn from the kohanim because that was in the base of mikdash. But this pasuk says specifically the kavod tifaris. So for globalizing the reason, the tamid ladavar, we would say that uh, covering one said is lekavod to show respect in the base of mikdash. And nowadays that. Uh, we don't have the base on, based on mikdash, but we do have our shuls, which are a mikdash me'ad. We could say that that could be, I guess, a smach for, for uh, covering heads. We're not sure. sure about hats per se, but okay, uh, other sources. Um, so we have by uh, the Mitzorah, um when he has to sit, uh, so uh, the Bible says, and uh, so there's machokas uh, tanoim, actually, about what that means. So and Rabbi Akiva is of the opinion that Rosh uh, Yefarua means he has to uncover his head because also similar to an Ovil, it's the same idea that the same way an Ovil would uh, would uncover their head, so to this Mitzoras cover their head because normally his head would be covered as a way of showing Kavod and here all the ideas of Mitzorah are, are uh, things that are a bizoyon, right? It's a, he, he tears his clothes, he sits on the machle, he calls tummy tummy by himself, and he uncovers his head. Okay, that's an, it's interesting. So, so, so far we have two real sources for covering the head, Avel and Mitzorah, and those specific ones, they would remove the head covering, because that's not a time of color, per se, for them, especially the Mitzorah. Especially the Mitzorah shouldn't, shouldn't be covered, should be the, the opposite, so taking the head covering. Do you have one more for us, or uh, am, I picking, am I pushing too far here? Um, there's... Uh... In, in general, we find um, rapping is uh, that through, throughout Tanakh, when it talks about uh, wearing uh, clothes that are that are uh, glorified, it, it, it generally talks about something that you uh, rap with. And even even uh, the mitzvah of tzitzis, um that, uh, that we, we make a bracha on the talus gadol with atif tzitzis, because the the way of wearing it was to wear it over your head as as, as a, a way of covering, and uh, that's, that's a, some some of the Rishonim even want to say that the ituf is ma'akiv that it has to be it has to be something that you're able to big enough to cover Rosh rubo, and uh, that that's something that is an integral part of the mitzvah because that was the way that they would walk around and the way they would uh, wrap themselves and present themselves to uh, in Bakavadik situation. Okay, so Rosho Barubo means your head and the roof of your body, I so Rosho Barubo. And I guess that, that opens up a little bit of a, a can of worms as to our hats nowadays that they're not Rosho Barubo. If our, if our source is Ituf, Ituf, the talis, and Ituf is uh, something that's dignified, and we do find that in a number of places in Tanaf, uh, it could be then based on that that our hats don't suffice. We need something more significant than just a hat on the head. It should be itu. I, I guess we fulfill it. Uh, so somebody who's wearing a talus, you're fulfilling the itu concept with having the talus over your head in particular, but the has, hat, maybe it's not uh, exactly fulfilling the mandate there. Definitely. We, we generally find that uh, itu, even in the Gemara, would mean, uh, like when we talk about needing itu for bracha, presuming that it was the talus. Um, even even the word itu to wrap yourself doesn't really make so much sense with, with, with a hat. You're not wrapping yourself in a hat. 
And the, the, the Pasuk that we brought from Elio, Vayelot Panobadar Tuz, he took a cloth and he put it over his face. Katifas uh, that's uh, the requirement by Titus. And these are these are all things that you're, you're you're taking something, you're taking like a cloth and wrapping it around you, not that you're just wearing something on top of your head. Interesting. There, there, there's a base Yosef that says that uh, the bracha, Oter Yisobesifara, is because of a Kaddish Baruch who crowns us. And he says it's actually a bracha on having a head covering that we are, is the language, is we're obligated to have a head covering. That's in the locus as well. Do you need any head covering or not? But he says, Oter Yisobesifara, the splendor there, which is like the covered is what, what, Rabbi Yisab, what, what you're saying, is that's why we say that whole bracha. It was instituted because of the head coverings that we have. Okay, give me, give me, um, a summary, real quickly. Obligation, not obligation. Do we have a, a, a source for obligation and the Tam Ladavar for wearing hats? So certainly in Tanakh, there's no obligation. There's no passage that says you should wear a hat. There's not even a story where it's clear that that was an important thing. It is clear that that was common and it was considered respectable. And that uh, for someone to not wear a head covering was considered either disrespectful or disgraceful and something that they generally avoided. Very good. Rabbi Yitzchak, I want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope it's okay that we carved out a little bit of our, our Seder time for this. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Rabbi Aryeh Leibowitz. Rabbi Leibowitz is the Mora Da'asra of Beis Knesset in North Woodmere. He is the head of Smichat Reitz. He is a renowned author and speaker as well. Rabbi Leibowitz, thank you so much for joining us. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great to be with you. Rabbi Leibowitz, thank you. Always a pleasure having you as well. Maybe we can start a little broadly. We'll get to talking about hats and gardels and the like, but on a high level, somebody is thinking about clothing for davening. What should be the standard for the clothing we should wear for davening? It's interesting that you asked that. There is uh, not, uh, there is no unanimity among Chazal themselves, among the various Amorayim, as far as how a person is supposed to dress for davening. We certainly know attitudinally, the Gemara tells us in the Sechus Brachos, that a person should be Omid Vizvayim Melech. Rashi writes that for tefillah, a person has to be Mara Atzmo Ko Omid Vizvayim Melech Lamod to stand there with a certain sense of trepidation, like you're standing in front of a king. However, the Gemara in Brachos goes through different Hanagos of various uh, Amorayim, and it seems that there were three different approaches that uh, one approach of Amorayim was to dafka dress up and to look nice. He Yisrael, to, to put yourself together in the best possible way. Others, dafka went in the other direction, that you're you're like a, a servant uh, begging for mercy in front of a master, and you should appear like a servant and not like a dignified uh, person. And they would dafka dress down for, for tefillah. And then there's like this middle approach of Rav Ashi, uh, where Ravashi says he saw of Kahana that it depended on the situation. When it was uh, an Ace Tzara, he would uh, dafka dress down. When it was an Ace Shalom, when it was a time of uh, general peace and prosperity, he would he would dress up. So you do see the Gemara that there is some, uh, you know, some differences. But I think the generally accepted practice uh, is how the Rambam Paskins and the Shulcharach Paskins that uh, the Shulcharach writes that a person shall. Uh, you should have nice, uh, special clothing for tefillah, like big day kuhuna. We should realize that a person is uh, approaching the Ribbana and therefore we try to, uh, to to dress up as much as possible. Happens to be just, uh, there's a beautiful commentary in the Eneliyahu 
um, as far as those different approaches uh, to addressing for tefillah, that he thinks they correspond to three different shittos as far as adi- the attitude of tefillah. That there's one uh, shita mesachas brachos and ein omdel nespala el mitok covid rosh. Another shita that ein omdel nespala el mitok halacha psuka. And another one mitok simcha shel mitzvah. So he suggests mitok covid rosh would would suggest that a person should have a certain level of seriousness and humility and would be keved l'veirabo dressing down. Mitok halacha psuka would be that be honest about your situation. If it's a shas shalom, so dress up. It's, uh, a shas tzara, then you dress down. And mitok simcha shalitzvah would imply that you always dress up, that you're always expressing a certain amount of joy. But again, the halacha l'maisa, we try to dress nicely, at the very least. A person should look nice uh, for davening. Dignified. Dignified standing in front of the melas. Yeah. So if we follow up on, on that concept of the big day kahuna, very relevant for parshas tetzavet and uh, the parshas that... Uh, we're in right now, so so along that line, one of the big day kuna uh, of the coin uh, hedyot and also the coin gadol, different forms was the mitznefes or the migbas, which is the, the we would say nowadays it means a hat. There it was a turban of some sort, uh, and so uh, along those lines, do we have specific sources in the Gomorrah nowadays for wearing a hat? Meaning they had whatever form it was back then, a head covering. And nowadays, that seems to be the form that we have of a hat. Do we have specific sources about davening or maybe benching and the like that we would wear hats for? Um, well, there's certainly uh, the idea in the Gemara that wearing a hat is uh, is something that's considered to be more dignified. The Gemara, in, I mean, in, there are a number of Gemaras, but the Gemara tells us that in Masechus Kiddushin, that uh, Rav Chista told Rav Huna that Rav Huna was Nadam Gadol. And he said, oh, yes, let me meet him when he comes. So when he saw it, when he came, he saw that he wasn't wearing a turban on his head. He wasn't wearing an atifas Roche. So he asked him, why aren't you wearing an atifas Roche? He said, because I'm unmarried. Um, and apparently it was the derech of married people who are, I guess, more mature and have to carry themselves in a more dignified way. You know, I always tell Hassanim as part of the Hassan Shmuz, now you're a married person, now you have to... Uh, carry yourself in a more dignified way. Sometimes in yeshivas, there's a culture. I don't know off topic here a little bit, but sometimes there's a culture in yeshiva among the Bahrain that if they go coast to coast, they wear the same clothing all week and they don't shower all week and they don't change the sheets on their bed, all zman, you know, things like that, that that's like a good thing to do. So uh, I always tell them, as a married person, you have to be a human being. You have to be a ben adam. You have to be a dignified uh, mensch. So there is this concept in the times of Chazal that someone who was married would carry themselves in a more dignified way, and they would wear a turban on their on their head. So you certainly have that idea. Um, the Gemara tells us in Masechah Shabbos that there's a sense of Yeras Shemayim that a person has when they cover they, their head. The Gemara tells us that Rav Nachman by Yitzchak's mother uh, would uh, always warn him to cover his head so that he could have a Masa de Shemayah, so that he could have proper uh, Yeras Shemayim. So there definitely is something about that. I mean, there's definitely, uh, we, we learn about the Gemara Mojkatan, talks about Atifas Harosh, Adafka during Abelos, that there's a sense of seriousness and severity that comes with an Atifas Harosh. Um, so there, there's definitely Marmakolos that, uh, that discuss these things in the, in the times of, of Chazal. It's interesting that because of that idea, the Gemara says the difference between married people and unmarried people, Mishabur writes that uh, covering your head with a talus is something that only married people do, that unmarried people shouldn't cover their head with the talus. 
So it's a question of, you know, of values, meaning it could be then having an Atifa Sarosh for Dvar Mishapadusha and for approaching the Yavon Shalom overrides the minog of unmarried people not, uh, not wearing a talus. It's an interesting discussion. In my first Shabbos in YU, when I was at, when I was a buffer, I had come back from Yeshiva in Israel and I uh, spent my first Shabbos in Yeshiva. For some reason, they gave me an Aliyah. I don't, I don't know what the occasion was, why they gave me an Aliyah, the base marriage, but uh, I got up to get my Aliyah. And the guy said, put, your tal- put the talus over your head. I said, no, I'm not married yet. I'm buffer. I'm 20 years old. I said, uh, I'm not married. They said, no, no, when you get an aliyah, the base of Edishman, you have to put your talus over your head. I said, really? It's, it's against the mission brew. They said, if you have a problem with it, take it up with Rosh Shafter. Um, because uh, that was uh, apparently Rosh Shafter's uh, opinion, that uh, the, the the requirement of having that level of atifa at a time of uh, saying the number should be kedushalim. Barful, like you say with every aliyah, would override like the minute of non-married people uh, not not covering their head with a talus. Very interesting. Uh, Rabbi Libas, I really enjoyed your going off topic with the uh, coast to coast. So feel, feel free to do that again. <laughs> so, so, so if we think about the Gemaras that, that you were citing, it doesn't sound like there's an absolute obligation to wear a hat for davening. So um, question number one is, would you learn an obligation or meet us Hasidus from those and and the next question, related question, maybe the same question is, what do the post schemes say nowadays about wearing a hat for davening? Yeah, it's you'd be hard pressed to say that it's an absolute obligation to wear a hat for davening. Um, you know, I, I, I once heard a um, a shear from Rabbi Yisrael Reisman Shlita about uh, tchelas. Uh, Rabbi Yisrael Reisman was not a big fan of the contemporary tchelas, um, and uh, he was suggesting that it's become almost like a cultural thing, like in certain circles in the Tilumi world, that people wear tchelas and sort of a statement of who you are. And he compared it. To, uh, to a black hat. He said that, you know, no one thinks a black hat is a halacha, but it, it sort of says where you belong, you know, who you are, what you uh, associate with. I, I would agree with him about the hat. I think uh, it's not correct at all about tcheles. Uh Tcheles is, I mean, Afar Amitat was right with Rabbi Reisman's going and it's sadik, but uh, I'm just saying that as far as tcheles, we do an actual mitzvah da You know, that's uh, their sukkah, that we read every day in uh, Krishna. So, uh, so obviously, uh, that that I think is not uh, just a question of identity. But with a hat, for the most part, it's become more of an issue of identity. You know, the Postcom spoke about in the early 20th century about uh, that that you have to dress up for davening. You know, the way that you would walk in the street, so the Mishapura and the Arachashulch, and say, and therefore you need to wear to wear a hat. Or the the gedar of the way you would stand in front of a nashul chashuvin. There's a reasonable argument to be made that nowadays you don't walk in the street that way, and you don't meaning society doesn't walk in the street that way, and they don't walk in front of a nashul chashuvin that way. People go to meet heads of state, and they don't wear they don't wear a hat. So the counter argument, the, the counter argument that's made is that there's no such thing as a nashul chashuvin anymore. Meaning the fact that people don't. Um, I think Sternbach makes this argument. The fact that people don't dress up in a hat uh, when they when they meet uh, presidents, when they meet the prime minister of Israel, is because the whole society has just gone to a more casual look. But if someone were really trying to dress to the nines and they were really trying to look good and to to to, to look their best, and there was such a musag of anashim uh, chashuvim, then they talk would wear a hat, or you know the way Rebelsky's Hanalivracha formulated it was that Anashim Chashuvim means Ruchaim Kenyevsky. It doesn't mean uh, 
you know, it doesn't mean heads of state. A bit of a fiddish. The case of Mishnah says, uh, I think uh, he talks about uh, how the Arabs walk around without uh, uh, without uh, socks on their feet, and uh, you know, he discusses how that affects the national chashuvim. So it doesn't seem like it's really about how we would go to Gitole Torah based on you know our own self determined uh, cultural uh, uh, sensitivities. Um, but uh, so again, hard pressed to say that it's a halachic obligation. Um, but uh, the argument is definitely made on both sides. Yeah, I think Rav Sternbach goes in that direction. Also, he says that the communists are the one that took away this concept of wearing hats and dignified people because they wanted to make everyone equal. And we're obviously not going to learn from them. And so he does revert as well to saying that we would define Anashim Chashuvim as the Gdoli Yisrael nowadays. And he says, according mm-hmm. to people, perhaps. So it's uh, it's something that we do. So w- when it comes to the reason, because this is done... It happens to me, by the way, a lot of people from... You know, Rochaim Kanievsky's door was open to everybody. And uh, certainly when, you know, uh, Yeshiva Bachrim from, uh, from more Yeshiva places would come, of course they would wear a hat. But I've seen many, many pictures of uh, my own Chaverim and, uh, and, and Balabatim and Meshul and others that uh, went to Rochaim Kanievsky. Everyone went, always got a picture. Uh, Yaki was always sitting there with the camera. Yaki Kanievsky was always taking pictures and sending it to people, right? Because the people can have it. Uh, so everyone always got, a, or someone who wasn't necessarily Yaki Kanievsky, whoever it was, was taking pictures. Uh, plenty of people went to Rukhaim without wearing a hat, and they didn't feel weird about it. They didn't feel uneasy about it, because they don't wear a hat. You know, if the, the person doesn't wear a hat, they don't feel like it's, uh, it wouldn't come in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt, you know, to uh, Rukhaim Kanievsky. They would want to look dignified. They would want to look nice. But, um, yeah, again, yeah, the argument could be made in both directions. Right. So this is commonly done in, obviously, in, in, in many societies in Kalal Israel. So the reasons, if we think about what the reasons, it's obviously great if somebody's wearing a hat, especially if it's for davening or kiddish and other rituals. What's the reason for it? Obviously, it's good. I wouldn't say mitzvah, shichas, kavana, but this is like a mitzvah, but always we should try to be inspired by what we're doing. And uh, the question is, so what would should be somebody thinking when they're, they're wearing a hat? What are the reasons for it? The reasons are, like you like said, two basic reasons. One is that the uh, and the other is the sense that we spoke about before from the Gemaras of Yerushalayim and a certain sense of uh, of Tzniyus, but that there's a, the broader uh, element of what the Shulchan says, that a person should have, should have a Beged Miyuchad for Tzfilah. So when you dot in and you do anything special in terms of your presentation, in terms of how, how you dress up for davening, that hopefully puts a person in the right mindset uh, for tefillah to realize that you know the, the Gemara says that a person should not get up rosh. And you're right in the middle of doing something that's not uh, that it doesn't bring that same sense of seriousness. So it's inappropriate to jump right from that into tefillah. You sort of have to reorient yourself. You have to refocus yourself. And uh, by, when a person puts on their hat and they put on their jacket, so it sort of just gives them a moment to reorient themselves and refocus themselves that they're about to talk to the Nibbana Shalom and that this is uh, you know, the mo- most important meeting they're going to be having that day. It could be, it could be part of the Hikon. Hikon, the preparation. So hey, based on many of those reasons, although maybe not all of them, but especially if you think about Yerushalayim and the like, why wouldn't a woman 
wear a hat. And uh, I don't know if we would distinguish between a married woman who's covering her hair and somebody who's not married. Maybe there's more of a mandate for somebody who is not married to cover their hair. Well, maybe that we should have uh, Borsalino developing hats for, for women aligned for uh, davening for, for women as well. So how why would we distinguish then? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, uh, women don't wear yarmulkes either, meaning it's all part of the same uh, the same issue. Certainly once a woman is married, so then the obligation to cover the hair is much greater than a man's obligation. So she she certainly would, you know, the, the hair becomes erva, you know, that a daven certainly when a person is not uh, in the proper state of dress. So then, of course, a woman would be covering her hair. Uh, but prior to that, just like a woman doesn't wear a yarmulke, whether you go with the argument that women don't need an extra reminder of your shemayin, that they're more uh, constantly uh, aware of uh, the presence of the Rebona Shalom, or whether it's something else. Uh, the you know the overwhelming practice in Klal Yisrael is that women don't wear yarmulkes, and uh, for the same reason they don't wear hats for uh, for daven. It's also just not the way to present in front of the nation. Chazuvim, although one could, yeah, I guess it's, that that would be more cultural. Right, right. So, so let, let's assume there, there is no chiyuv to wear a hat. Somebody who doesn't wear a hat for davening, apparently, I think that would make it much more significant. The kippa, the yamka, the kapal that they're wearing, and the size of the kapal. When I look around in Israel, there are certain um, places, areas, uh, groups that are not very strict about the size of the yamka. They uh, wear something the size of a hole punch or there's something of the size of a bottle cap or a little bit larger than that. And if they're not going to be wearing a hat, or having a talus on their head, then what would be the minimum size required for a yarmulke? For Davani. I'm sorry. Uh, Ravadio Sage says, uh, writes in the Chuvin Yechavadas, that the minimum size for yarmulke may be different uh, generally than it is during tefillah. Meaning, if a person, it could be a person has to cover Rov Harosh for tefillah, and therefore Dafka with Davening, they need to make sure they're wearing, if they're not going to be wearing a hat, to be wearing a larger yarmulke. But the size of the yarmulke in general, of course, is very famously the very first tshuva in all of Igris Moshe. is about uh, the, the, the uh, sheet of Rav Moshe that a person need not have a large uh, yarmulke. Uh, obviously, if you've ever seen a picture of Rav Moshe, Rav Moshe himself wore a very large yarmulke. Um, and there were people that were upset at Rav Moshe. The first tshuva in the whole sefer has to be about that you could wear a small yarmulke Right? Why, 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 that's going to set the tone for the whole sefer. But Ramosha didn't think that way. You know, Ramosha dealt with halacha. So, uh, that's as much a halacha as any any chumrah that he has in the sefer or any other uh, detailed analysis he has in the sefer. So he discusses, if you look at that first chuvah, Ramosha discusses the major mar mekomos, you know, the the halacha shlomo and the taz. Um, and uh, Ramosha disagrees with some of the earlier poskim who think that you have to have a much larger yamaka. Ramosha's basic there is that if someone were to look at you, they should say, oh, he, he's covering his head, meaning he has something on his head. Uh, so, and, and therefore, Ramosha says it should be something that's visible from all sides, meaning that when someone looks at, at, at you, they'll be able to see. I assume he means like at eye level, you know, because sometimes a person could be seven feet tall and most people that look at him don't even see the top of his head at all. So, uh, the, you know, they simply mean someone's looking at you and is roughly the same height as you. You know, if you're taller than the other person, so you'll see the yamaka no matter how tiny. So, uh, you know, he doesn't address that that uh, detail, but I assume that's what uh, that's 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 what he means. Someone you know, should be able to. And, and for that reason, positioning of the yamaka may make a difference. I remember when in in the 1980s, when I was a little kid, 
it was the thing for like uh, cert in certain circles for people to not only wear teeny tiny yarmulkes, but they would put it all the way in the back of their head where, you know, if, if they would put, you know, that same yarmulke more centrally located, you know, it would be visible from all sides. But he is sticking all the way in the back of that. Then people who are looking at, at the person from the front won't see it. So uh, it's like wearing a you know a yarmulke on your uh, you know uh, on your feet. It's not it's not going to help. It's not a head covering. Okay, so just to understand Rav Moshe a little bit more, so it it should be something that is considered covered. So if you have something the size of a bottle cap, I assume we would not consider that a covering. It's it's a bottle cap. Uh, but I think to, the way the way to measure whether it's I mean it's very hard to give exact shear, right? So I remember as a kid we were always told if you fold the yarmulke before and you hold your hand like a tefat, uh, you know, depends how big the head is. It depends how puffy the yarmulke is. I think uh, the way to measure that is uh, whether people from you know looking at you from all angles will say, oh, he's got something on his head. Uh -huh. Okay, I guess we'll leave it a little bit vague. So... At that, so so let's move on to uh, jackets for davening. Okay, we've covered hats, not a chiyuv, not an obligation, but when it comes to wearing a jacket, would you say that that is something that would be required nowadays? I had we do have arguments that it's not commonly worn in, in secular society, and uh, maybe that's not a sign of dignity anymore. But if you're going to go to even somebody who is a secular leader. Typically, we'd wear a, a jacket, and we should talk about ties as well, because maybe the tie should be the more contemporary hat. Right. Um, yeah, as far as jackets are concerned, uh, I agree. I think there's a much stronger argument to be made that a jacket would be required if it has to be the way you stand with an national chashuvim. That is still the standard in front of a, a national chashuvim to wear a jacket, even if a national chashuvim doesn't mean even if it means uh, important, uh, you know, heads of state, that is certainly uh, still the standard. Um, and uh, the lashon of the Shulchan Aruch is that that it's the derech of the chamin talmidayim. But Achronim write that love dafka chamin talmidayim. It's really everybody. Everybody should strive to be a chafam talmidayim. There is an Aruch HaShulchan that says that people who are, are working during the week um, don't necessarily have to wear a jacket because uh, when someone is going through the curse of Adam Arishon, of having to work each and every day, uh, so that's considered like a time that there's Tsar of Yalma, that there's Tsar in the world. And the Gemara we alluded to before says that in, at the time of Tsar, you dress down for an evening, but on Shabbos and Yom, then, you know, it's a time of Simcha, and therefore a person should dress uh, up for Davening. But generally speaking, since that is the way a person would present with Nehem Melech, uh, it, it seems to make a lot of sense that, uh, that one should wear a jacket. Because, I mean, I'll just add, though, that the post can point out, Zalman, uh, as well, that you should wear the jacket properly. You know, that uh, which is a minig in certain yeshivas, I don't know if you call it a minig, but that, that which um, many yeshiva bachar will do, uh, certainly in summer camps when it's hot outside, you know, they'll, they'll take their jacket and just fling it over their shoulders and wear it like that for dominance. So Shalom Zalman writes, or is quoted in Halich Shlomo, and it's not proper. That that's a, you, you would never stand in front of a national Hashem in that way. Or Shaftar even writes in the Miprine Rabbeinu, which is one of his uh, three svarim on uh, the Hanhagos of Rav Saldechik. So Shaftar writes that in his later years, one of the Shamashim of Rav Saldechik noticed that he wasn't wearing his jacket for davening anymore. 
And they asked him, what, why aren't you wearing a jacket? And he said that he had just uh, started to wear his grandfather's tefillin, to wear Reb Chaim's tefillin. And Reb Chaim's batim apparently were very large, so he couldn't fit the jacket sleeve over the, the bottom of the tefillin. And he said, what am I going to do? I'm going to have my sleeve dangling down when, I, when I'm wearing tefillin. That's not the way you would stand with an ML. You would sooner not wear a jacket than, than to have a sleeve dangling down. Uh, while you're wearing, while while, while you're only the Fnamel. And he said he thought it was worth it to wear Chaim's tefillin, even if it came at the expense of the ability to wear a jacket. But the assumption that he had that when you wear a jacket, you got to wear it properly. You have to put it on over both arms. So that's, the, that's quite an oh. assumption. That's quite an assumption. Maybe he should have worn Chaim's jacket as well. <laughs> I don't know if he had it anymore. So that maybe he could have got the tailor to make him wear a jacket with bigger sleeves. I don't know. Uh, so w- one last question for you, Rabbi Leibowitz. Gartels. Indeed, we do have a Makor, a strong Makor, for wearing a Gartel in the Gemara. And it seems that... Uh, in certain places, they are mocked of a gar- at a gar- of, to wear a gartel. In certain places, not mocked about wearing a gartel. On the other hand, we're so strict about hats and not gartel. So, w- what do you have to say about wearing a gartel? And what are the various heterim to not wear a gartel? Yeah, the the uh, there are two reasons to wear a gartel. There's a kiyum of hikon, you know, to, to you know, sort of, uh, wrap yourself up and get yourself ready for tefillah. And there's the uh, the other issue of the, that you shouldn't have libo erva. That for any davar shabdusha, for any bracha, there should be something mafsik between one's heart and one's erva. So the shulchan paskins that a person has to put on a belt for uh, for tefillah, um, and uh, even if he has an avnate, uh, that it's not it's not that, that, that you don't have to worry about libo erva. There's still this additional issue of yikov. Um So when mishabura says. That uh, that it's dafka someone who's rugil kalayom bechagura, but someone who goes all day without a belt b'shas tefila he doesn't have to put on a special belt, but it's a midas chasidus even b'chiyai gavna. So I think that's the assumption that it's a midas chasidus that as long as you've taken care of libaroas erva and you're fulfilling hikon in other ways, you're putting on a jacket, you're putting on a hat. So it's a midas chasidus, and that's why chasidim are very matbit to uh, to put on a, a, a guard in addition to the fact. That our modern style of dress makes it, and it's anyway not libra but we don't wear flowing robes. You know, we wear uh, we wear you know, the modern style of clothing, which uh, which on its own takes care of the libra but issue. Right, very good. Well, Rabbi Leibowitz, I want to thank you so much. I, I'm sorry we didn't get to talk about other issues that off topic because I enjoyed that uh, off-topic comment. But maybe we'll do a show just off-topic conversations with Rabbi Leibowitz one day. I'd enjoy that. <laughs> Look forward to it. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Be well. Joining us now is Rabbi Dr. Tzvi Ron. Rabbi Ron is a rav at a number of yeshivas and seminaries in Yerushalayim, a very popular rabbi indeed. He has a PhD in Jewish theology and has published multiple sfarim, and he has also published over 60, 60 scholarly articles on numerous and oftentimes unusual topics, including an article entitled Stripes, Hats, and Fashion, which is our very topic today. Rabbi Ron. Thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be back. Great to be back on the show. So thank you very much, Rabbi Ron. So let's start with the basics. The concept, the source, maybe both, for wearing a hat for davening. Where does it come from? 
let's start like this. The Shulchan Aruch writes that the Shulchan Aruch talks about the way you're supposed to look when you're davening your attire. And one of the things that he mentions, he writes, Velo berosh So you're not supposed to have your head uncovered. And on this, the Mishnah Brewer says, Ubizmanenu, he says, in our times, so there you go. Shulchan Aruch says your head must be covered. Mishnah Baruch says cover it with a hat, and that's what it is. Uh-huh. So that that's 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 what it is. So, so what generally? What's the standard for what to wear during davening? If we're going to extrapolate from that, there's a hat. Okay, so now we move on another step, so we could read a few more words in the Mishnah Baruch. And then the Mishnah Bura writes, he says, This is my name is Ruchlasim Kova, you have to wear a hat. Kederik Sheholech Barachol. And that's where the excitement begins. Because the Mishnah Bura says, How did he decide on wearing a hat is going to be the thing that makes your head officially covered? As the Shulchan Aruch says, it should be covered. But he says, Has to be a hat because that's Kederik Sheholech Barachol. Because that is the way people walk around outside in the street. And this is also the kind of Lashon that we see the Chai Adam says such a thing and the Aruch HaShulchan, they all have the same kind of a terminology. Chai Adam says, So now I'm going to tell you a secret. Based on this, but first of all, I'll tell you a caveat for the audience. I'm not a hat-wearing person. So that's a bias. Everyone has to know my bias, where I'm coming from and all of that. My father didn't wear a hat in davening, so I don't. And Okay, so now that that's known, the Mishnah Baruch is indicating, and Chai Adam, or Shulchan, everybody, that it's the way that you walk around in the street, which is the halachic terminology for the way it is appropriate for people to dress, what we call in the public sphere. There is a way that people, like, you, what do people say? You can't go into a house dressed like that. So that's what the Mishnah Bura says. Now, now I'm going to say, I'm just going to say that nowadays, if you're in a situation where people do walk around in the street customarily without a hat, then Kader Sholef Barachov, I would say, doesn't apply to hats anymore. That would be my... What I'm saying, yes. Is this going to be a, a subjective standard, an individual, that how do you typically go out into the street, or is it going to be more of an objective criteria based on the place that you live, if you live in a place that uh, people, B'nai Brak, uh, people... Oh, okay. Now, that's really, that's a big, big question. Because I'll tell you, Rav Chaim Kanievsky, he was asked this question. As someone wrote to him, it's in... Uh, in the safer there, it says, there was someone who asked him, he writes, He says, look, in Israel, this is not a thing, right? People, many places, they don't walk around with hats. And he says, even in front of important people, they don't wear hats. Also in America, Rav Kanyevsky wrote back, So he says, Yes, even nowadays, that's how people go. And he says, And people who walk around in a bizonial way, we don't care about what they do. Now, I'm going to say that he's writing this 
in the context of, of his community and his society. So I will say 100%, if you live in a place where it is not normative to walk around in the street without a hat, then definitively you would have to wear a hat during that. I think that's, you know, that that's what it is. But, but you know, and, and in a close, in a certain society, in certain societies, that's the way people walk around. And that's, so I'll say like this, it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you're in a situation where you tell everybody you have to wear a hat during davening, then people are wearing hats. And then you're, you, you, you have created a hat-based society. And, and then they're going to say, yeah, it, so if you live in that society, that's how you have to go to Davin, for sure. But if you don't live in that society, or you live in a different kind of a society, then, then, you, don't have, then you don't have to wear a hat. That, that's how it goes. Yeah, right. It seems that from that, what your quote from Rafael Kanievsky was focused on how do you appear in front of dignitaries. And- oh, oh, you're right. Now, see, the Mishnah Brewer, he, he kind of puts in two categories. If you read the Mishnah Brewer carefully, he says... He writes, first of all, it has to be Kedera Sholech Baruchov, which is the same terminology that the Aruch HaShulchan wrote and the Chai Adam wrote. And then he writes, but not like, let's call it what we call a kippah. And he says, because that's not the way you go in front of dignitaries. So the Mishnah Brewer kind of brings in, let's say, both of these categories. And that's why people say, well, nowadays, I don't know, you go to the UN, everyone's a dignitary. People don't look into the UN wearing a hat. I mean, you know, that's not, it's not something, I mean, I think in some, in some countries, maybe they still do. I think in Afghanistan, if you always look in pictures of people in Afghanistan and even prime ministers, even when it wasn't Taliban, that guy would always have a hat on. So I think in certain societies, there is still this kind of a thing. Yeah, but there you go. And and I know I've seen, look, if you look, I'll tell you a nice place to look is uh, in, in Piskei Tshuvot. He has a few, you know, Tshuvas regarding this. And and people write, you know, he says from uh, what, Ashuti Breyatsi, he says, even though many people are not mocked in this, Right? So uh, we don't care. If there is the rule there are idiots and they stopped wearing hats, then we don't care about that. But again, I mean, the reality is that, you know, things change. Things, people's fashions change. I'll give you an example. One time I went to meet a student of mine and he says, I could meet you in New York during my lunch break. Okay. And he, I said, where could we meet? He says, you know, I work for one of the big, I don't know, what do they call the big three accounting firms, you know? And we there's a kosher place right nearby. We'll meet in the lobby. I meet him. The guy comes down, and he's wearing khaki pants and a button-down shirt. I said, whoa, the big three, don't you have to wear a suit and tie? Like, what kind of, you know, what kind of a thing is this? You're an accountant in a big three. He says, yeah, they, 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 they got rid of that. It used to be that. Many years ago. Right, right. I've, you know, I didn't, I've been living in Israel. I don't know about the, how the rule, but the rules have changed, you know? So it used to be that you have to wear a suit and tie to work. And now, now it doesn't, you know? And, and I'll tell you like this. 
for real, you know, the hat is a thing that it's it's a non-necessary clothing item. Now, men's fashions have a lot of non-necessary clothing items. One of them is a tie. What do you do? I don't know. You know, tie does nothing. Hangs on you like that. These kinds of things are purely cultural based. After a while, these kind of things ship. That's what happens in society. Right. So, Rabbi Ron, based on the standard of if you live in a society that people typically go out in the street in a certain way or appear in front of dignitaries in a certain mm. way, so that would require the wearing of a hat or whatever the garb would be. I, I would assume that we have a humor built into that uh, as well, not only when you're in shul, but if you're davening, be a chidus, if you have karot or something yeah. like that, you're, yeah. not, you're to the standard regardless. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like sometimes if you read like a tshuva, when someone says, can I dab it in my pajamas? You know, I'm just at home, you know, but you can't be doing that. Just, even the Mishnah Bura, one of the examples he gives of what you're not supposed to dab it in, he says is a, is a kaftan, which is, which is a hem's coat. And now I'm assuming that no one's walking into shul wearing a house coat, you know, like a, like a robe like that. And, and this is at home too. Uh, that's what, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So, Rabbi Ron, we, we do have, not, not only in the context of davening board, for Birkas Hamazan as well, like the Gemara talking about, mm-hmm. there are 10 things, Rashi says Birkas Hamazan, and one of yeah. them is, is Etuf, is, which is, Etuf. it's not a kippah, it's not a kippah, it's something more significant, it's a, it's a body shawl that covers the head or something like that, and the tour brings this in the halachas of Birkas Hamazan, and he brings the Gemara that Rav Paul oh. put on an Etuf, and Rav Asi was, had a sudor, which is a significant headdress, Yes, and, yeah. and Beis Yosef brings Rabbeinu Yerucham that says, Dahainu shenosen sudor al rosho sha'asu lebarak begilo erosh. So if you have to put a sudor, which is not a key, but something more significant. And yes. the Bach says that this is the basis for wearing hats. That <clears throat> tooth is something more significant. It's not just a yarmulke. And based on that, a hat is something that's required. So would you say, even though we have explicit sources in the Gemara talking about etuf, which is something more significant, and the Bach talking about that's the source for hats, that's our replacement for etuf as styles change, why would a, a yarmulke, a kippah, or for those in London listening, a couple, why would that suffice, suffice when that's, that's so limited re- relative to the etuf that's talked about in the Gemara? That, that is really a big deal question what you're asking now. But I'll tell you something. You know what? Let's, let's take the Bach and just put him just for a moment aside. If you look the Beit Yosef on that same discussion in the tour, when he talks about what an etuf is, he says, You need etuf. Now, what is etuf? He says, It's a sudar that you put over your hat when you're in front of important people. I think again, Etuf, the way that Beit Joseph is framing it, is a special extra thing in front of important people. So I would venture to say that if you live in a society where there is no construct of such a special head covering for important people, then then that whole thing, like it just doesn't exist anymore, you know? And I'll tell you another thing. Listen, in the, the Bach, when he talks about Etuf and he says, why is Etuf important? He says, Kisui 
Okay, great. Now here's the thing. Let's say I'm wearing a sweatshirt with a hoodie, okay? I think that when you put the hood on, you are literally fulfilling each. My head is now wrapped, you know? Now, I don't know what to say, but I think that if you put a hood on with a hoodie nowadays, I don't know. Maybe it does help somebody. There's a lot of listeners to the show. Maybe there is somebody out there. When I put a hoodie over my head, it, it is mahania, my heart, and I have more kavana and brahs. But I think that for a lot of people, covering your head in that fashion, like you're like a gangster now, you know? You're like, you know, you're going to rob a bank. So I'm going to say, I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I think that the etoop itself is something that works in a certain cultural context. And if it's not, if wrapping your head is not an associate, I don't say that it's, I don't think it's objectively something that causes people to have super kavana. I think that there are cultural associations with that. You know, sometimes you go in, for example, you know, you, when you see pictures of the Baba Sali that people had hanging up, perhaps in a shawarma store, and he's, he's Manish has Ituf there. And a hundred percent, you know, in this North African, you know, cultural kind of a thing, that was Machnia the left. I think when people in Shul take a palace and put it over their head, it's Machnia on their heart. But I do not think that just taking, you, you know, a, you know, Ituf itself, I don't think has that. That's what I'm thinking. Very. Now, now, now that's Machnia Alev, we could take it from a different approach and say, is it dignified? And right. We say with the same result when it comes to a hoodie that we wouldn't consider that dignified. We wouldn't consider it dignified, right. And, so and each of itself is working within, you know, within a context. That, yes, in Gomorrah times 100% people, you know, they dress like the Babasali in those pictures, you know, they had Mamashito kind of stuff. You know, you see this, of course, yeah. And would you say the same about a baseball hat? Yes. Listen, I I think, see, this is what I'm thinking. There's a lot of things like, see, people have turned the hat into sort of an objective kind of a thing. And my whole position is that the hat, the way the Mishnah Buruhai, everyone was framing it, was in a cultural setting. So therefore, the same way, I don't think anybody would say, oh, you know what, look, I have a party hat, you know, from a birthday party with a string and it's a cone-shaped thing. I'm going to put that on and now I'm ready for dobbing. That's actually ridiculous. I don't think a baseball hat, to me, a baseball hat is not a respectful kind of a thing. You know, that's like, that's no frat boy's dress. That's not like a, that's not a respectful thing. I would say that that's the same kind of thing. Yeah. So, right. But again, say, I feel that there's like a mixture of two things, like saying, oh, no, objectively, I need this thing on my head, which is a hat or saying, no, the hat serves a purpose. And then, you know, it depends on the hat and the, the context and all that. Yeah. Right. So so what's the concept then if we're saying, as you're saying, that, that a keeper should suffice for davening and benching and the like, a double covering? I mean, we do have a constantly you know, covering so does that mean you have to wear two kippas and where, where where does that come from the double cover you know what look so this double covering thing i'm i'll tell you when i first encountered it i went 
I, I was with a student of mine and he was buying a kippah for his son going to yeshiva somewhere, a little kid, like a, you know, hater or some such thing. And he showed me that they have these velvet kippahs that have a lining inside, right? And, and that that is significant because that's the double cover. Yes. Now, you know, I, I don't know, I'm like a backwards person. I never heard of such a thing, but to me, the origin of the double covering is that when the Mishnah Brewer says, he says, you have to wear It can't be the little kova. You have to have a big kova on top of the little kova. Now, when I'm reading that, it sounds to me like the double covering, if it's the same signs two times, then that doesn't help anybody. So, so, so I think the double covering is a bit of a uh, misnomer it's going to be a big covering over a little covering. Is is kind of what we're saying? Yeah, yeah, right. And and then you're saying that would be societal. Yes, you got yeah. it. Now, Rabbi Ron, I I did read your article, which I quoted at the beginning. Stripes hat nation, and there was actually there were actually uh, three topics covered there, not just one. One was hats for davening, and another one you started talking about garb clothing that's viewed as Jewish. I think you focused specifically on Hasidic. Yeah. So, well, walk us through, is that historical? Is that a style thing? Or okay. a general rule is that Jewish people tend to be more conservative than the other people in the country where they live. So for this reason, historically in Europe, Jewish people's fashions were slightly out of fashion relative to everybody else. Now, there's a great article by a woman called Cornelia Oust, and she is called From Noble Dress to Jewish Attire. Now, in this article, she goes through wanted posters and APBs that the police put out, and she collected Jewish people's descriptions of, of in these wanted things in the 1700s in Eastern Europe. Yeah? And what do we discover? that whatever the non-Jewish fashionable things were about 50 years ago, that's what Jewish people were wearing at the time. So now, 50 years prior. Yes. The lag of 50 years. There was a bit of a lag, 100%. There's always a lag. This is because there was a few facts. Some of them are like economic factors that Jewish people were, you know, weren't necessarily wealthy back then. And it was difficult for them to afford the latest fashion, so they had to go to the old fashions. Sometimes the government would even prohibit Jewish people from, like, dressing, you know, like the Goyim, but they didn't cover the old fashions, only the new fashions, all these factors. But they, they were using, they were wearing their grandparents' hand-me-downs. A hundred percent, just like all of us, right? You get your cousin's hand-me-downs, right? And you have these, these shirts that have slogans that nobody understands anymore. That's what happened. And, and this is what it was. Now, at some point, at some point when you have various kinds of, you know, leadership figures who say, okay, that's it, you know, we, we cannot change anymore, then you get locked in at a certain point in history to a particular fashion. And the whole world pass, you know, continues with fashion shifting and all kinds of stuff. And that's what happened. That's, that, that's really the story among Hasidim. But that's really also the story for real. I, 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 you know, I'll tell you a secret. When I originally wrote this article, 
I didn't write anything about Hasidim at all because I thought everybody knows. Yeah, this is the Hasidim wear the old, you know, garments of the Polish aristocracy. And then they wrote to me, he's like, I got to put in Hasidim too. I'm like, okay, you know, if you tell me I have to put it in, I'll put it in. But that's a known thing that what the aristocracy in Poland started becoming more westernized. Jewish people were still doing the old fashioned. Then the leadership says, hey, we can't be modern. And then, you know, it gets locked in at this point in time, which is, by the way, exactly what happened with hats. You know that anybody, I don't know how many people list, you know, watch movies, but maybe there's some older people you will remember. If you see Abbott and Costello, Abbott and Costello, they walk around with hats in the streets. Charlie Chaplin is wearing a hat. Buster Keaton, all of the old comedians of the olden days, that's what they did. What happened was that after a while, all the fashion has changed. If you see old movies, everybody's wearing a hat in the street. So this 50-year lag is still going on right now. Except what's going to happen is the lag will stay forever if there is an authoritative figure who says, you must do this. And for this reason, it could be that hats might be locked in now forever. It could be. Yes. Right. Interesting. Depending on the geography. So so yeah. well, let's move on to the third part of the article. There you talk about the uh, talus stri- stripes. Yes. What was okay. the basis for that? So so talus stripes, I thought that talus stripes is just very funny because, you know, you go, everyone has talus, everyone has talus stripes. Yes, you go to, the, that's how they're made, right? And they all have stripes in a similar kind of a way. So what is this whole idea? Now, if you look, really, when do people start talking about this? You, you know, the Eliyahu Rabbah, Eliyahu Zuta, the Prima Gadim, they mention this idea that in Seychelles, and that's what people like to say. You know, the Zechelet Chelet, there, a hundred... Because the Tcheles was a, a bluish color, so right. you have stripes. Now that we don't have the Tcheles anymore, we would have the... the... We'd have the Zechelet Chelet, yeah, and it would be bluish, and that's why you'd have blue stripes. And then you say, oh, but what about people with black stripes? So then people would like to say, ah, oh, you know, the Ramban says that the Tcheled maybe was a very dark, so it's like black. Okay, so somehow it's, it's all Tcheled. Okay, great. But the thing is, what's very exciting is that they discovered in archaeological finds that already in the Bar Kokhba period, we have Talisim from the Bar Kokhba rebellion era, and you have stripes on Talises all the way back then. Yes, we're to, so, and this is, and I'll tell you now, if you, once you see that, then... You also understand that at the the Romans themselves, they would wear togas, and these togas were all nice and white, and they were decorated with what are called clavi, which are nice lines, you know, just a few inches from the edge that go across the whole garment the same exact way talesim are constructed. And they would have the colors that for them represented royalty and aristocracy and that would be things made out of purple or blue which was the expensive dye at the time you know the Tyrian blue that is well known in history so so what happened was re- and now so this also explains I understand that but I could do anything I could make polka dots I could make stripes going the other way I could you know do a whole I can make stripes all the way at the edge but the Roman style was that you have it all white, and then there's 
lines that are depending on how high class you are was either very thick or a little bit less thick and it was always positioned a few inches from the edge and that's what it was in other words so jewish so therefore what basically happened was romans are walking around togas they decorate their togas when they want to be fancy with stripes now jewish people are also wearing taluses which for jewish people is like a toga you know it looks like a toga that's four corners and they put stripes on too to decorate it. Now, hunt and now what? And then everybody keeps it up because what? You're gonna get a talus. How are you gonna make your talus look like Zadie's talus? You know. And then the talus gets locked in in this kind of a fashion. Then flash forward to the 1600s. Someone's saying, "Hey, why are we doing this?" I say, "Zechelatchelat." I'm gonna say it's also zechelatchelat. And now you understand why it's black and blue because it was really originally purple. Was really the color, and it, it could be zechelatchelat. It's it's beautiful to say Zechelatchel, but but that exact the way to do it was a Roman fashion kind of a thing. That's why that's the funniest thing. The funniest thing about it is that when they want to make a, a a flag for Israel, they're like, oh, what's a Jewish symbol, you know? So we put a again David and we put two lines on it that it should look like a talus. But that's funny because that's like the ultimate slap in the face to the Romans, you know? You destroyed us. But guess what? The whole world forgot this fashion. We took it over. We're dressed even now like Roman aristocrats. And that's the symbol of our whole country. And we outlasted you. And you guys are nothing now. And we win. That, that, that's, that's, it's very funny. It's very funny that these things, clothing, and here's the secret for a lot of people in the audience to hear, that as much as Jewish people want to be separate from everybody else in the world, the world is permeable and we pick things up from other people and you have, you know, a lot of people today, you know, you know, with fashions for belt buckles. How do they know what's a nice belt buckle for a yeshiva buffer to wear? You know, these are things that seep in from the outside world and and the talus stripes is that the hats is that all these things. It's that that's we're part of the world. We are part of the world. Pretty good. Well, Rabbi Rona, do you have a talus straps? Do you on your talus or, or no? Oh, uh, yeah, I have stripes. I do. Have, of course, I have stripes because I'm a human being. But but you know, for Shabbos, of course, I just have white stripes. You know, have it white on white because that's that's classy. And and for weekday, I have blue because if you're gonna if you're gonna say seichelatzhelat, at least make it blue. You know, the black out of the black. I mean, come on, come on. But yeah, so we have no hat. We no. have um, when it comes to the talis, it's white on white on Shabbos, blue on white zechelatcheles during the week. That's me. Obviously, uh, no chasidish garb either. No, but I do have. I'll tell you another secret that my so my grand in my family the whole hat thing like mamish mirrored society. My grandfather always walked around with a hat, and he davened with a hat. And he, you know, came from Hungary to Brooklyn. And then he always wore a hat, even walking around the outside to buy a newspaper. He'd buy a hat. He'd wear a hat. My father, at his wedding, under the chuppah, he wore a hat. Yes? Which, and the rest of his life, no. Because that's like as if where, you know, under the chuppah, like you wear a tuxedo. You wear ancient clothing always. You know, you ever go to a British kid's wedding? And they have the cravat and bare cummerbund and all that. You know, you wear ancient clothing in front of the chuppah. Fine. And now, by the time it got to me, there's just no hat at all. 
But at least I wore a suit under the chuppah, which I guess by Israeli standards could be like ancient clothing, you know. We always try to be. But that's about, you know, it mirrors, Lamish mirrors society. That's how it worked out. Getting more and more casual. That, that, the world is getting more and more casual. A hundred percent. You ever see sometimes, you see even prime ministers sometimes walking around with jackets and no ties. You know, the ties, American presidents still wear ties all the time. Usually, unless they're like on vacation and they want to shop. But, but the ties are fading out too. It's Lamish fading out. Yeah, and you even have Putin without a shirt on. Oh, that, that, yeah, riding a bear. Yes, yes. You know, those, those t-shirts they sell. I was in Moscow. They sold those t-shirts everywhere. Bear, bear-chested Putin riding on a giant bear. Right. Unbelievable. Well, Rabbi Rowan, I want to thank you so much for joining. All righty. But I do want to say that if you want to wear a hat, go wear a hat. I, you know, and then, you know, everyone should know these are my biases and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, and if you live in a hat-based society, then you just continue doing your thing. It's going to be an obligation. It's going to be an obligation. That's right. That's right. Rabbi Ron, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. It's my pleasure, as always. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Rabbi Moshe Walter. Rabbi Walter is the Rav of Woodside Synagogue, Avas Torah, and is the Executive Director of the Rabbinical Council of Greater Washington. He is the author of three books. Two of them are directly relevant to our topic today. The first one being the making of a halakhic decision, a comprehensive guide and analysis to halakhic rulings. And the second one relevant to today, not about halakha, but rather about minhag, the making of a minhag, the laws and parameters of Jewish custom. So we will be talking, are we in minhag? Are we in halakha? Rabbi Walter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rabbi Austin, for having you. Great to be back on the show. Great to have you as well. So, Rabbi Walter, why don't we start a little bit broader and then we'll get into the details of this fascinating topic. On a high level, can you explain to us the issues surrounding proper dress for davening? For example, do you need to wear a hat? Do you need to wear a jacket? What if you're hot? Can you wear short sleeves, sweatpants, a t-shirt, and the like? So give us the lay of the land, please. Sure. So I, I believe that there are two core issues that are really at the heart of the question and sort of could set the stage for our discussion. The first, it's clear in the postkim from the Rishonim to the Gedolei uh, Achronim and Shochner Achtur, Beis Yosef, etc. The issue of wearing proper clothing when it comes to tefillah is an Indian of Nechbadus. There has to be a sense of covet in the clothing that one is wearing. That comes out from the Rambam, Parakei of El the Rambam. is very clear that, that clothing are there to guide a person and it's a way to be able to communicate with the, the master of the universe uh, appropriately. That's clear in Shulchanach and Simon Tzadi Aleph as well. Um, so much so the Shulchanach says in Simon Tzadi Ches that a person should wear a beg and miyuchot for tefillah like the Kohen Gadol. The same way the Kohen Gadol was dressed, but kavrlisiferes, so too a person should have a beg and miyuchot, a special unique clothing that they wear when they're dapning. So across the board, what emerges the Yisod of clothing for tefillah is that they have to be nechbadim. There has to be a sense of nechbadim, of kavod. A person should be properly dressed, clothed, in order to encounter our Creator. The second nekuda is how we magdir. How do we um, define what exactly is called nechbadika clothing? And this is where the question becomes more complicated and maybe even more technical. Um, but do we define proper clothing based upon the way one goes out and walks in the street? Do we define proper clothing the way one would go to a banquet, to a dinner? Do we find proper clothing the way one is going to a meeting? 
that's more difficult and complicated. And it also merges in the post game again from the Rishonin uh, to the, the codifiers of Jewish law that it very much depends upon society. It depends upon where you live. It could depend from continent to continent. It could be it's dependent on generation to generation. Uh, but if you look at the Mishaburah of Shulchan and you look in the Rambam and the Beis of the Luktor, you'll see very clearly that there was a certain modality of dress. Um, and that's where your show will make things more exciting, hearing what exactly is considered to be the get there and defining what is appropriate clothing or not. And arguably, you will hear differences maybe from Europe to the United States, from South Africa to South America, from Israel and beyond to North America. But certainly there is a very clear approach in the postgame that it emerges clothing as a sense of nechbados, kabur. And then number two, being magdir, what's called kabur deka clothing for tefillah, uh, is the next piece of the discussion. Okay, so that's that's on a broad level. If we talk about on the individual level, as opposed to the macro level, to the micro level. And, and this indeed happens. Uh, somebody who typically does wear a hat for davening, but doesn't have one. Doesn't have one with him. He's uh, in Maya Sharim, and he's near a minion factory, and he wants to drop in for, for Mincha, and he doesn't have his hat with him. He left it back at wherever he's staying. So the question is, can he daven with a minion, without that hat, or does he need to wait to get his hat and daven with a later minion? And this is a question, is this, is this a minog issue? Is this a halacha issue? So, so the Rambam in Parakeh of El is quite clear um, that wearing a hat is not from the Dvaram HaMa'akvim Esa Tefillah. It certainly doesn't stop somebody from davening. If you're not wearing a hat and you don't have a hat, that's not a reason not to daven. However, I would imagine that it depends, and every case and every situation is different. In certain environments, having a hat or not having a hat is significant and therefore might depend on the person. You know, for a Hasidish fellow not to wear a hat in, in Borough Park in his base medrash, that doesn't exist. So therefore, it wouldn't even be a question for that individual. For another person who typically does wear a hat, but he might not walk with his hat in the street or he might not be, um, you know, going to a banquet or, or a meeting with a hat, for that person, it might not be as significant. So I think there are a lot of factors, circumstances to take into account. Is it possible that he has another meeting to go to later? Uh, is it complicated for his uh, schedule, for his meetings, for his uh, time that he has to be home, etc.? So I, I think it very much depends on a person, a situation. Alpi halacha, um, I don't believe that it is required. Um, however, we will see that there are Gdolia Poskim who didn't and don't agree with that necessarily. So I think it depends. And circumstantially, uh, I, I have seen great Durban who regularly do wear hats. And for whatever reason, it's 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 not Lamaisa at that moment. And their hat got stuck somewhere else. And to, to dive in later and different times is going to be complicated. And, you know, there, there, there is a makum, certainly, uh, in that circumstance, not to wear a hat. Let's assume somebody is Makbid to wear a hat. Always goes to Minion three times a day and wears his hat. But now there's a situation that there's only one minion. Before we were talking about when you had an option, do you go to the later minion? So there was a little bit more flexibility there. What if there's only one minion left, one minion in town, and you need to choose between davening without a hat, now's your option, it's only one minion, you're there without your hat, or do you go home and daven biachidis with the hat? So this is a question where it's a, a balance of, of two attention, if you'll call it that, when you want to do two things, ideally, and you're unable to. 
Adinian, I guess, similarity to this question that both can talk about is if you're only able to daven the tzibur before nates. My shul, for example, in the winter, the only way to have a minion is you daven before nates. So is it better to daven before nates, which is not ideal with a minion, or to daven v'chidos after nates? So it's a very similar type of scenario. Chathila, ideal to daven nates with a minion. But if that's not feasible, you can only daven with a minion before nates, or to daven v'chidos after nates, what should you do? The postkim, early postkim, early Achon already addressed this question. So here too, it's a very similar one. I think to answer your question, I, I would call this arguably a machlok stum Shlomo Zalmorbach from Yibchem Kanyevsky. Shlomo Zalmorbach is clear in Alif Shlomo. He writes that a person shouldn't be mafsid tefila betzibur if they don't have a hat. You, you sure lose out on the maila of Daphne with a minion and, and the chashilos of Daphne with a minion is so important that it shouldn't stop a person from being Zochet to the Minion and to the Tvila B'tzibur and the Milas of Tvila B'tzibur if you don't have a hat. Chaim Kanyevsky and Das Notem, which is his son, Rabbi Yitzhak Shol Sefer, where he goes, several volumes where he discusses his father's Pesachim and Jew is probably arguably one of the, the best Svarim, the most authoritative of the Pesachim from Chaim Kanyevsky, where they're worked through and more organized and thorough. Chaim's very clear um, that no, absolutely, a person should not dive into Tvila B'tzibur without a hat. Um, a hat is a chil. It's something that is part of the responsibility um, and requirement of davening properly. It's a chil, and it is mekrad in it. Something that's done, should be done, has to be done, and that would trump uh, tefillah b'tzibur. So I would call this a flokus in Shlom Zamorbad Zatzan, Chaim Kanyevsky Zatzan. That has serious ramifications for, uh, in, in various situations. I don't know if now we'll stay in Rav Chaim Kanevsky's camp, but it's probably Rav Shlomo Zerman Arbach as well. But what if somebody has a hat, has a family style, his father wore a Borsalino or a Furster, whatever the name brands are, a Litvish hat, and he wants to make a change and, and he got attracted to whatever, uh, whatever Hasidim, Hasidish uh, Velt that he got attracted to. And he wants to move over to wear a primal. So do we have a problem of changing your minhag as it relates to his hat? Or is this simply a style and as long as it is dignified, it doesn't matter? It's an interesting question. Ravosna Zatzal and Shevet Halevi Chelud Yud has a similar shayla that was posed to him. It was Dafbe on Purim when he was asked the question. And that's whether a Litva can wear a Strymel on Purim to Davin, or a Chassid can wear a regular Litvish or black hat. Is that covered? Is that not? Is it appropriate, inappropriate? Now, it could be his answer is limited to Purim, but I think the Yisoda Dover that he says uh, is broader. And he says that the ichor of Tefillah is that your head is covered. That's what he writes, that there should be a proper covering. What's covering you? That's less important, but that you have to have a head covering. So if a person is going to daven seriously as a litvak with a shrimel, or a shrimel-wearing chassid is going to wear a litvish hat, and they're davening seriously, properly, not b'derech tzchok, but on Purim, as is the minig of Peter that you wear patsufim, you, you wear, you know, different masquerade, and you dress up. If a person is going to daven seriously, they're mikayim, the halacha of having their head covered. Like the Rambam says, that a person should be nisatev. So that would be absolutely okay. So I think the same thing would be true throughout the year. It depends what a person's focus is or what a person is, is doing. It, it, are you trying to make a point, the statement? Are you trying to be humorous and comical? But if a person is moving in that direction, or even not necessarily, but uh, maybe 
person's clothing will have an impact on the way he davens, it shouldn't necessarily be a problem. It's going to create, you know, a, a mesifta bacher, yeshiva bacher is going to walk in and his litvish yeshiva wearing a strimal, the whole place is going to start laughing and it's going to create a level of insincerity and davening and the rosh yeshiva mashkiach and have to, you know, say a shmuz about it after. I, I don't know if that's the best thing to do, but al pi alacha, that's the way Rav Osner seemed to have uh, responded to such a question. Right, you don't want to stick out that much. You don't want to be a spectacle. So, so along the lines of making changes, what happens if you have a bocher in yeshiva who, not that he wants to change the style of hat from hat to hat, but his minog and his family's minog was to wear a hat, and he wants to stop wearing a hat, wants to stop wearing a hat, but his parents want him to continue. That's the family minog. So uh, can he stop? Does he have to be matir neder? Does he need the consent of his parents? Are there any uh, significant problems with his making that change, taking the hat off? So dropping a family minog is no small matter. That's, uh, you know, the Gemara we showed him. We don't just drop family minogim. One of the most prominent areas where this is discussed is in Nusachat you know, some sofa family has a chuva about switching from Nusachashkinas to Nusachsfire. We don't just drop family monogamy. It's not something that's done. It's true when it comes to Tilan Kalamoid. It's true when it comes to Nusach. It's true. Some are supposed to talk about if a family has a certain uh, delicacy that they make for Shabbos and Yantif. You, you, you keep that. That, that. That's a middle of a mishpach, and that's something that's serious. So dropping family monogamy just as a background. Uh, is certainly not something to take lightly. On the other hand, it could be that wearing a hat is not necessarily a minute. Maybe it's a halacha, maybe it's a chiyuv. And when it comes to chiyuvim and halachas, a child, a son, can switch that which his father does. Uh, a son wants to be more machin, more makil about something that it's machlokas machab and two days in the Mishnah Bura, machlokas You're able to ask him differently than your father. A minig is not something that you can necessarily tinker with. But halachan, if there's a different way that you learn a sugya and emerge differently, then you can't. I think here I, I would put on my, my rub hat and say if that there's a child who's not interested in continuing the family's minute, if you call that to wear a hat, there's probably something bigger happening here. There's a, a larger issue. It's not that he's uh, decided, I'll be uh, post him, that, that he should be wearing a hat, but he's probably making a statement and he's probably trying to say something either silently or more loudly. And I think that's where the, the sugya is here with a, a child who's deciding to take a different path than his parents. I'm less concerned about the, the halachic implications and applications and maybe more concerned about, you know, how exactly and, and what this child was saying. You have to be matinadar. There's a good, good, good argument to be made that, yes, if it's a minute though, and you've been doing that since bar mitzvah, yeah, it could be, we can make a very strong argument that you should be matinadar, and it could be there's malcolm to be matinadar, depending on, you know, the Pesach and the Harata, et cetera. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think here you have to get into the sugya of, of what's happening here. Anytime a child is doing something different than a parent and then a, a parents and parents are sort of, you know, directing their children to certain derech, so we all rebel and that's part of being a child and a teenager. But, you know, the, the, that, that's where I think the, the sugya is in terms of answering your question. So it's, it may be an indication of something much more significant that needs to be uh, dealt with. I would think so. Yeah, so let's talk about the opposite situation. You said sometimes the son wants to be more makel, sometimes wants to be more machmir. So let's talk about the more machmir side of things. If we ever buffer a son wants to start wearing a hat, the family, I, wouldn't, I don't know if we would say the family minica said not to wear that, but the, the family doesn't wear a hat and the uh, son is inspired, goes to yeshiva where they wear hats or whatever the situation may be, and his parents don't want him to wear that hat. They said, don't wear that. 
that's not our minog, we're not into that, whatever it is. Can that son ignore his parents and can he wear that hat behind their backs? So as opposed to the latter question that you asked, that nobody ever asks to Shiloh. Nobody asks, can I stop wearing hat? Is that okay? Am I breaking any uh, rules? Uh, but this question is one that I get very often. Can a, uh, a yeshiva bacher who wants to wear a hat because that's what he's becoming more accustomed to in his yeshiva, but his parents are opposed, adamant, or maybe at best impartial, uh, is that okay or is that not okay? So here we have to get into uh, a shayla of kibra uh really versus wearing a hat. And here's where we have to wear halach and minna again, their ices and their abundance, which is always something important. And the post can address this in when it comes to a child doing something different than a parent. Uh, and then the Simon Reishmem discusses uh, a scenario based upon a true of the Trumas uh, if, if a youngster, if a child, for example, um, it wants to go learn in the yeshiva out of town. He wants to go uh, learn somewhere else by a different rabbi, a different yeshiva. And the parents and the fathers adamant and opposed, doesn't want the child leaving their home in their town. So Trumas Adeshen Paskins and the Chaber codifies this in Shulchan Aruch, that the child does not have to listen. There's no chiyavism requirement. And, and the son does not have to listen to his parents. The Ramah the same thing is true when it comes to a child making a decision who they're going to marry. If a young man brings home a, a, a young lady, a kala, and he's prepared and ready to marry her, and the parents say, absolutely not. You know, we're not interested. You know, this is not going to go. The child does not have to listen to parents. Same thing is true in the inverse. If a father tells his child to be Mechal Shabbos, so we all know, Everybody needs to be uh, Shomer Shabbos, and, and a father can never tell his child not to be Shomer Shabbos, and that's true when it comes down to Shabbos, when it comes to all, he's surah. I wouldn't think that wearing a hat and disobeying a parent would come close to Talmud Torah, to Nesuin, um, and to Chil Shabbos and other areas. So I, I would think that a smart child should discuss this with his rabbi, um, with his Rosh Hashiva, with his Mashkiach, and should try to understand what do his parents want, what are their expectations, and to try to get to the bottom of what the issue is. Uh, Bacher recently asked me this question, and parents were impartial. They really were not necessarily bothered. That's what he described it to me. I said, if that's the case, so why not? You should. You know, wear a hat if that's what you want, if that's where your heart is, if that's what you feel is appropriate, if that's what's being done in Yeshiva, and your parents are quiet and silent and they don't seem to be very strong one or other, you should. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, in the safe that I referred you to before, the Das Lot of Chaim Kanyevsky, he was asked this Shaila, and Chaim is very clear that you do not have to listen to your parents. You you are absolutely not required. Um, wearing a hat, the shitaso is proper lavush. A hat is ma'akev, that's something, it's, it's kabbalah tefillah, and a son would not be required to listen to his parents and would be permitted to disobey them, uh, according to Chaim, you know, if, if that was the child, the son's desire, yeshiva, etc. Of course, when it comes to all areas of halacha and minig, etc., you know, there's a lot more than what's written, and there's between the lines. Um, there's Bnei Brak, there's Yerushalayim, there's, there are many different cities in the world, and every psak needs to be thoughtful and understood carefully, and a conversation, as I mentioned, with, with the young, with the Bachar's Rebbe, Mashkiach, Rosh Hashiva, etc., and balancing Kibbut Avahim, that's going to not excite the parent about sending their boy back to yeshiva. That's going to give them a bad taste. So, you know, sometimes you have to have 
uh, long-term vision and that tunnel vision and, and think further and more forward and making sure that this would not be the area that creates tension and division between a parent and a child. And uh, following up on that comment of tension and division and uh, being thoughtful in advance when making decisions. So I I heard a situation of a shul that decided uh, they weren't so fond of certain people that were coveting there who uh, didn't dress properly. And they decided to institute a dress code for those davening in the shul, either with intent of sending some people away who didn't adhere to the dress code, for example, wearing a hat and jacket, or because they wanted to make it a, a more serious environment because those people were talking during davening and uh, unfortunately it was having a negative impact on everyone who was davening there. So I know this happens sometimes that schools do institute uh, certain uh, dress codes for people who daven there. Is that going to be halachically binding? Let's assume that the Rav decides it with the Gabai and uh, indeed they make that um, something that is required of the shul, if you want to dive in here, is somebody who walks in off the street going to be required to do that. Now, I'm not talking about the chazan. The chazan, you have to wear a hat, you have to wear a talis. Uh, the shul that I dive in has right there on the Amud. It says if you're the chazan, you should be wearing a hat and jacket or at least a talis. Um, but how about when it comes to a policy, a dress code for everyone else who is davening in that shul? So uh, as a rabbi of a shul, I'll share with you a, uh, a story that happened to me in my early years in my rabbanus. So as you noted, um, I, I came to my shul and some early point, I don't remember exactly, but within the first few years, I also thought that it would be appropriate to set up some standards of tefillah. And the shul Baruch Hashem has fine standards uh, on, on multiple levels, but I thought to create something more uh, concrete and uniform that's understood could be printed out and available, that there's clarity across the board. There shouldn't be tensions in the gabayim, the spalim, the, the, the shats, etc. So the, one of the rules that I made, which was most of the most contentious, um, was that sandals would be prohibited to be worn if you're not wearing socks. So I instituted that socks had to be worn uh, if you are wearing sandals. Okay. Haya hayom, a sandal-wearing mispalo, uh, went to Davin for the Amud. And as I looked to see, because I know this person typically did not wear socks, so he put his socks on top of his sandals. You're kidding. That's what he did. So here it is, a young rug being tested uh, in front of tens upon tens of Mispalwa. And this was a Motsi Shabbos. So it was a big crowd. And it was very clear that there was going to be a show there. And everybody was watching what I was going to do. What I did is that I looked at him very sternly and I didn't react. He was giggling and some other people were giggling. Other people looked very nervous that I would do. And I looked at him sternly and I made a motion like, come on, what are you doing? And he said out loud, I'm wearing socks. That's the new rule. They weren't just socks, they were pink socks. And I looked and I waited and I saw and tried to figure out what he would do, what other people would do. There was, you couldn't, you could cut the silence in the room with a knife. And at some point when he didn't budge and he didn't budge, um, I motioned to the Gabai to continue. That, that's what I did. At the time, I think that was the right decision as, as a young Rav, what I did. Um, I would not do that today. Um, after being in the school for 12 years, I'll tell you what I would probably do today is I'd probably say either you leave or I leave. That, that's probably what I would do. That's the rule. Either take it or leave it. Either you're going to dive and I'm going to walk out or... You're going to walk out and I'm going to stay. And that's something like that was what I would probably do today. I think I answered 
and I held, uh, you know, I dealt with it appropriately then, and this is probably the way I would deal with it now. Um, that that's the story. Uh, wow. Yeah. From a strictly halachic point of view, absolutely. A shul with its rav, the Zion Tov Vihatir, you call that the board of members of the Gabbai, have every right to make a takana for the tzibur. That's standard. You know, Sintas Mahadri Shon and Nachron, and we make takanas the tzibur. Chalkas Yaakov actually has a chuva in Chael Galf where he writes that the, the minang in a particular shul was that if you don't have a beard, you couldn't daven for the amr. So there was some question about that, the appropriateness of that, but if a shul with its rabbanim and the Zion Tavir and the Gabbayim, et cetera, wherever are the decision-making, power-making bodies, make such a decision, there's no question. It's no different than a shul that decides to have a no-phone policy or you can't have your phone even on vibrate. There are no talking in shul policy. This would be no different than that. So certainly, if, if there's a takana, a takana sakal, a takana satsiba that's made, it would be binding and would be absolutely required to be kept. There's no question about that. That's uh, that's quite a story. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> feeling the tension as, we're, as I was hearing that. Um, let, let's just go back to one point when it comes to hats. So we talked about changing between a, uh, a Borsalino or whatever the brand is and, and a Strymol. How about if somebody wants to wear a hat, but his choice of hat is a baseball hat? And we're not talking about being the Chazin. We could talk about the Chazin, but not necessarily the Chazin. If somebody comes to you and says, I'm, gonna, I'm wearing my hat, or you see somebody in shul and it's a baseball hat, and assume it's, it's a type of team that you like, okay? So we don't have to get into, I don't like the team. But the hat itself, does that fulfill the concept, the mitzvah, the obligation of wearing a hat? So uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll uh, share another interesting anecdote, a story. One of my rebbeim, uh, when he was a buffer, so he was in his house, and before he was about to bench, he went to get a hat to put on his hat uh, to bench. We could talk about that also, whether that's required or not required. Um, but he went to put on his hat the bench, and he had his uh, shirt out and looked very unkempt and messy. His father's a Talmud Chafim said to him, it's appropriate to wear a hat, but it doesn't match your lavosh and your dress and your demeanor. You're, you're wearing sweatpants and, and your, 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 your shirt is out and you're putting on a hat like doesn't go. So I, I'm not determining now and deciding whether or not that Alpialach is correct, incorrect, his father's point was, was Alpialach correct or not correct, but I think be a sod and, and philosophically and really halachically speaking, we have to talk about dressing properly. I'm not sure if wearing a baseball hat is bichlal that, you know, wearing a baseball hat is something you do on a tiul, it's baseball is something you go, uh, go out and about and I don't know even if a baseball hat might even not be appropriate to wear when you're adopting. That's not only is it not considered to be ito for wearing a hat, but maybe it's not a nice thing to do, the right thing to do. I think many people do. And, you know, in the olden days, people wore caps. That was a, a very common thing that people wore. And then my grandfather, a Hungarian, upstanding, serious balabas, he wore a cap. That was the standard. Many Godolia, so that's what they used to do. You've seen the pictures of back in Europe. That, that was one of the ways that people covered their hats. Maybe you can make an argument today that the baseball hat takes that. Maybe if it's without a, a logo or a team or it's just a, a, a black hat or a red hat or a yellow hat. Maybe, you know, there's an interesting machlokas amongst achronim. You know, when shachris in the morning, so when you're putting on your tefillin, so you can't put on your jacket, you take your jacket off and you put on your tefillin. And many people leave their jacket off, like half on, half off, or they sort of bundle it up, but it's not really in their two hands. The sleeve on. Sleeve on. That's correct. 
Shlomo Zalman Rebach was, was very opposed to that. He felt that that's not, not Kavodah Tefillah. That's not uh, the way a person should dress for Tefillah. That's the whole purpose and goal of, of dressing appropriately, like we discussed. On the other hand, Chazanish felt that that was the Deref. That's how people do Davin, that standard. So again, you see this certain um, sense of tension that exists in terms of what do you call Kavod. So it could be one place wearing a baseball hat would be okay, one place it wouldn't be okay. But part of the broader picture is dressing in a way that's becoming, um, you know, presenting yourself in front of the burial. Right. Let's say somebody comes off the street, wants to dive in a shul, walks in, he doesn't have a hat, and everyone is wearing hats in that shul. Would we say there has been established a minigamakum that would bind everyone diving in the shul? And, and it, uh, alternatively, let's assume not, not everyone wears a hat in the shul, but the majority of the people wear hats in that shul, would that bind the minority, would that obligate the minority to also don hats? As you said, many places there are halachas for how exactly the shliach tzibur should dress. So there it's uncontested, whether you're a, a shul member or a guest, a visitor. If those are the rules and that's what it says, that's what it says. I think the same thing is true. If the shul has a rule that everybody must wear a hat, a gartel, a strimal, if that's the shul rule and it includes guests, then yes, in Achanami, that would be required. No different than uh, at the Kanasakol. That's what's done. My sense from uh, traveling the world, if you would say, it, it, that's typically not the case. I've done the many Hasidisha places and I've seen people without a strong, without a hat, and even, you know, without a jacket. I've been in many serious shuls where I've never seen that. There are particular places that may have such a stand, and if they do have such a stand, that would be okay. But I think the common practice, like Rosha says, at least in America, it's, it's a melting pot of jewelry. You have everybody and everybody from so many different walks of life in shuls, and many minyanim that take place in shuls is just a, an amalgam of people coming from different places. I, I don't know if there is a, unless it's stated clearly uh, in a shul's policy or protocols or in their safer minhagim, that that's a requirement that even is binding on the guests, um, it, it would be hard to say that that's called a, an absolute meaning to be Mikhail a visitor. Interesting. Now, we, we've been talking specifically about davening. If we could broaden the conversation to talk about other times, for example, for benching, so benching, and Rashi says, birkas hamazon, or kiddish, a chuppah, bris, and the like, would there be a mitzvah, an obligation, a concept of wearing a hat on those occasions? So as you just pointed out, in benching, so the Gemara does say in Shloshu that the ituf, wearing a head covering, um, is something that is kaya, that's something that is a mandatory uh, for koshal bracha, for benching. Uh, the Shofnach and Simukuk Begimel does not um, Paskanet does not bring ituf as a halacha, as a requirement, as a, something that's ma'akev, a benching, but the Mishapur coin the Magnavram is very, very uh, serious, that that is absolutely something that should be done. Magnavram writes, Mishapur quotes it, that that's the minag, that's the standard, that's what people do. Um, and therefore, that's that's the standard of the Mishapur. You take a look, you'll see. He makes quite a point about it, um, and he takes that quite seriously. I, I don't know if everybody is or isn't, but as I pointed out, some people do dafka put on a hat for benching in order to be mekayim, the Mishapur B'Shem, the Magin Avram. Um, as you noted, yes, koshal bracha may also not only include benching, but the Kiddush as well. Both can talk about whether or not a person should dafka put on a hat for Kiddush, Leal Shabbos, certainly. Uh, Shmir Shabbos talks about it, Zavnoivr speaks about it, and he seems to indicate that, yes, that would be something appropriate to do. Uh, the Shai Ephraim, Ephraim Zalman Morgolius, in his classic work on Kriyasa Torah, so he says to get an aliyah, 
um, a person should put on a hat. There should be ituf coming you know, to get an aliyah. Connected uh, Maimon Harsinai. That's something. Another time, other times that you see people wearing hats. I'm not sure what the mukorfer is. Probably coming from covered Shabbos, but there are people who wear a hat on Shabbos and not during the week. Uh, that's why not come from tefillah or from uh, an area of requirements for a particular tefillah. But that's an Indian of Kabbalah Shabbos that uh, you should look different on Shabbos, act different on Shabbos. So it could be it's coming from there. If I recall, the Sefer Hasidim was not so excited about somebody dafka just wearing a hat on Shabbos. They didn't think it was appropriate to do that. But I, I think there are certainly a, a base manager school of people that are coming from. Uh, a place where um, wearing a hat on Shabbos is, you know, because of Kabbalah Shabbos and not because of Tefillah Koshal Brach. Right. So you're, you're making the uh, the concept of a hat on Shabbos, but you are then missing out the rest of the week. Yes. Yeah. Yes. In those areas that we are discussing, whether it's Tefillah and whether that's the status quo, whether that's the norm, whether it's required, whether it's uh, a minig, a halacha, you know, again, as noted at the beginning, it is very much dependent upon society, community, generation, decade, continent, and there is an argument to be made. Right. Uh, Rabbi Walter, let's change gears yet again, but really in a different direction. We've been talking about hats, primarily about hats, and uh, I'd like to hear about gartels. What's the source for the gartel? And uh, of course, we'll talk about, so why don't we all wear a gartel? Some people do, some people don't. Well, let's start with the source. So the Gemara Masech Shabbos Davio also uh, the post will speak about it in Shulchan Aruch and it's actually brought in Shulchan Aruch and Sadi Aleph as Tzarech. That's the lush of Shulchan Aruch is that you're required. It doesn't say that when it comes to wearing a hat or jacket, but when it comes to wearing a gartel, Tzarech, you should be Laozer Mosnov. You should put on a gartel. You should have some sort of separation. And there are primarily two reasons uh, for wearing a gartel. Number one is what the is known as libo roa saherva. There should be a separation between the top part of the body and the lower part of the body. And that really a belt would take care of. So you wouldn't need a gartel necessarily if you're wearing a belt. And both can say even if you're wearing tight-fitting pants, the pants themselves, the elastic waist, all itself, I would take care of that. But then the Gemara says there's another Indian, and that's called hikol mikrasel kachli yisrael, that you should come and recognize that you are presenting yourself in front of the Creator. Um, and if you're coming in front of likros elokei yisrael, kamesh baruch that it's appropriate that there should be an extraordinary outsider just wearing a belt, but wearing a gartel, that's something of Kabbalah, of, of Siferes, that's of Hikom Likros, Elokech Yisrael. And for that reason, Shulchanach Tzari Aleph says that Tzarech Le'ezor, that you are required uh, to put on the belt um, a gartel. Now, if you ask me, and appropriately, well, if that's what the Shulchanach says, so how could you not wear a gartel? So the Beis Yosef answers that question. And the Beis Yosef himself, Mishabur quotes, that really Archon quoted that if you're not wearing a gartel throughout the day, then there would not be a chiv to dafka put on a gartel for dafka. That's what the Beis Yosef says. Mr. Bura says it explicitly quotes it. Mr. says it's to be this chasidus to continue to wear a gartel even if you don't wear it throughout the day. Uh, but Mehikar Adin, there is no chiv to wear a gartel based upon the Beis Yosef himself, who says that if you don't always wear a gartel, so dafka to put on a gartel for tefillah is not necessary. Uh, Postkim contemporarily, though Yisrael, Mestaiklub, Shomzam Rebach, Mujashturbach, Libadulachayim, they all say other reasons as to why we don't wear a gartel today, even though the Lashon Shulchan is Tzarech either doesn't match the clothing we wear. You know, sometimes we wear an overcoat, a trench coat, a raincoat. There's a belt that's attached and it looks sort of like part of the garment. But that's to put on a gartel with a short coat, a long coat. It doesn't match the way we're dressed and therefore 
uh, it's not necessary. Furthermore, they know that's just not what we do. People aren't wearing these types of separations, these gartels, and since it's not really worn today, it doesn't match the clothing that we wear, and it's not something that's done, therefore it's not necessary. So Litvish community typically um, are not wearing gartels. Hasidim continue to wear a gartel, um, as well as other reasons that they understood that there is a significance both in Bikon Likras Al-Kafisrael as well as Libor Asaherva, and it's a, a Davar Chashuv, it's a Begid Chashuv, and you're being Makayim Ikradin, uh, as has become the Kmina uh, for many, many hundreds of years of the Hasidic community. As you mentioned, Kikon, which is prepare yourself for meeting a Kaddish Baruch Hu, specifically the Shemona Asra, and you also mentioned Davar Chashuv. So I want to tell you a story. An accountant uh, once told me, an accountant in Los Angeles, said he was at a meeting somewhere far out, and it was uh, getting close to Shkia. So the person he was meeting with, a non-Jew, he told him, oh, I have to go pray my afternoon prayer. And, and the person asked him, do you need a phone wire? And, and my friend said, a phone wire? Why would I need a phone wire? He says, because I sometimes meet with this Chabad Jew, and when he has to go and pray, he asks me for a phone wire that he wraps around himself when he davens, when he prays his afternoon prayer. So I, I would assume if we're talking about a Dover Chashu and Hikon Nikrasilakecha Yisrael, like a hat should be something that is dignified, we would say the Gartel as well should probably be something that is dignified. I, I would venture to say, yes, I think that's, that, that's well said, Rabbi Wasserman, exactly. Okay, very good. So I want to ask, in, in the Litvish minhag, where we're coming out, if we look at the two segment, segments we've talked about, we've talked about hats and we've talked about gardzols, and it turns out that the Litvish, when it comes to hats, many are makwid, wear hats for davening, other times as well, but when it comes to the gardzol, we are lenient. And it seems that the Gartel may have a stronger basis in Gemara, in Alasa than hats, at least if we look historically in the Gemara and the Rishonim. So why are we in the situation nowadays that the Litvish are strict about the hats and some uh, have it on their heads 24 hours a day, they're wearing it in the cars, driving and the like, not only during uh, religious ceremonies, but uh, driving and wherever they go. But the Gartel is, it doesn't even come out for Shemona Esrei. It's a good question. I, I would suggest as follows. The postgame have told us ahead there why we don't wear a Gartel. The Beis Yosef makes a blanket statement, quoting Rishon, I think it's Rebani Rucham, even he quotes, that since it's not something that we wear throughout the day, therefore it's not necessary to put on for tefillah, because it's not Bechlal It's not something that's being worn regularly, therefore dafka to put it on for tefillah is not something that is necessary. So the post can give us a hat there not to wear a garbled Mishnah Bura. Uh, and later, Achron, tell us that because of this reason, therefore don't where in God, well, it's not necessary. If you want me, this chasidus, call it kavod by all means. But there's no gadol who ever said, Dafka, you should not wear a hat anymore. Nobody said you don't have to wear a hat. Other rabbis, the Mishnah Bura, seems very clear. All say to wear a hat. So um, if you want to drop wearing a hat, so you're being so much, I guess you'd say on, on John F. Kennedy, like everybody looks back to, he stopped wearing a hat as the president, and that's when hats sort of began. Uh, their decline. But no Gadol outright or no Gadol Yisrael outright said that the custom has changed or that dress wear has changed and therefore it's not necessary to wear a hat anymore. So for that reason, I, I believe that that's why the literature community is more macular about wearing a hat dafka as opposed to a garthal. And there's no question that wearing a hat certainly is still formal, is still chubud. Wearing a hat does have a sense of nechbadus, 
not a smushed hat, not a dirty hat, not a uh, a completely pilly hat, etc. So yes, the goal is to look nice, is to be properly uh, set the same way you, you'd meet somebody chasha where you're on an interview, a covered Shabbos, you, you look proper. Certainly when it comes to tefillah, the same thing should be true as well. Rabbi Walter, I want to thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you, Asman. Pleasure is all mine. Joining us now is Avrami Ellen Bogan. Avrami is the owner of Hatbox, which has approximately 10 locations throughout New York, also has in Chicago, Florida, Toronto, various other locations. They sell hats, numerous uh, makes and styles, and other clothing to from clientele as well. Avrami, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. So, Avrami, I've heard of Hatbox. I've seen the advertisings of people carrying the Hatboxes. So I thought you were the, the logical person to speak with about the latest styles in hats. So if you can walk us through what is currently uh, fashionable when it comes to uh, yeshivish hats, I, I'd love to start there. Okay, so things, things now have definitely changed. The styles are much, much narrower, and they're accelerated. The styles are changing much quicker than they ever did. As in clothing, it's the same thing going on. It just be uh, uh, now the styles are much tighter, much, uh, much their shirts, much tighter pants, much tighter everything. Everything is accelerated today more than ever. That's for sure. So what we're saying is, if the hat rims didn't get more narrow, there would be like a disconnect between the clothing that people are wearing and the styles of the hats. Yes, that's true. Because I'll, I'll prove it to you because it's very simple. The Shivish Oilam is still wearing a much, much wider brim because they're not changing. Whereas more fashionable guys are wearing narrower stuff, they're all wearing much, much narrower brims. That's the truth. So you have to hold an inventory both wider rims for the yeshiva crowd and, and less wide for those who are more, we would call in Israel, more modernish. Yeah, I would say that that's definitely true. Although not as wide as it used to be because even the guys who are wearing yeshiva hats are wearing a little bit narrower too, but not not now what the whole world would wear, that's for sure. Now, is that the most significant change you've seen over the past 40 years? Is the, is the, is the brim or how about the height of the hat? Or well, the crown, we call the, the height of the hat is called the crown. The crown has also definitely gotten a little narrower because it would look ridiculous to have a small brim with a, with a huge, it looks like a stove hat or something. So therefore... Obviously, the crown has gotten a little lower, too. That's true. Uh, so those are the brim. We've got the crown. And any, anything else that has changed? I mean, 40 years ago, did you have people only wearing black? Or were there other colors that people wore at that time? That's for sure. They wore different colors, just like straw hats. It used to be the world used to wear it. As soon as late, as soon as, uh, as soon as Walter Memorial Day came, everyone put on straw hats. That's almost extinct today. Maybe in, in the hot, hot climates, they're still wearing straw hats. But that doesn't exist today, just about. Yeah. So, that's, you know. That's another change that's going on in the industry. Yeah, Rami, who decides on, on the styles? Is it the manufacturer that decides? Are we following? It sounds like we're following secular society. If secular society made the changes on the clothing, make, making them more tapered, is it the manufacturers that are, I mean, the, the, the hats are, some of them are manufactured by Jewish manufacturers, but some of them, like the Borsalino, is a non-Jewish Italian manufacturer. So who's making these changes? Well, like I said, the styles are definitely dictating the changes. So therefore, the hat stores themselves are ordering, obviously, lower crowns and smaller brims. That's what happens. However, however, the hat stores really, really are dictating. In other words, if we would buck the trend totally and stick with wider brims, of course, that would have a tremendous effect on the market because there's only 10, 12 really big, big, big um, distributors of hats. So therefore, of course, 
pastors make a difference. But for us as storekeepers, even though it's a secret that shouldn't get out, of course, we're interested in, in different styles also because that's how we make money. That's just simple and plain. And so, so the more the styles change, the more uh, people come in and want to keep it. They want, well, they want to keep up with the styles, and it could be how often are the styles changing nowadays? As I said, it's it's very accelerated, but right now it's standing on a uh, the guy wants to be fashionable. He's wearing a smaller brim and a lower crown, that's for sure. So it could be every year or two that he's got to come and repurchase something. Yeah, that's why we pray for rain also. Either has to get killed or styles change. That's how we make our money. I got it. Now, if we talk like a Borsalino, do you sell Borsalinos in, in hat box as well? well we, we were the biggest distributor of Borsalino. Borsalino, from now on, does not manufacture their own bodies. Therefore, it's a totally different it's a totally different company that it was, and I think it's a much, much inferior to what it used to be. So, therefore, we were really shying away from Borsalino. And uh, and there's other manufacturers, and Italian manufacturers do a fantastic job, and that's what we're promoting now. We what, feel what, like it, at. what are they called? What are the names? Uh, there's Turin. There's, uh, there's many, many different names on, on, on the hats. There's Turin. There's, there's, there's Many, many different manufacturers on, on that. But I'm thinking of the boss on the Italian hats, there's, uh, what do you call it? I think it's, uh, there's um, Torino and there's, what's the, uh, what's the name of it? You can go to go check inventory. In, in Israel, they, they sell uh, Furster here in Israel. I don't know if that's available over there. Right, right. You're, you're walking in. They're walking into the showroom now. Right. Albertini. Let's say Albertini is a, is a fantastic hat that we sell. And there's, there's many different notes. We have different styles, different names for different styles of hats, too. So, therefore, that's, uh, you know, that, that also goes into it. Let's say our number one seller is Albertini. We sell an Albertini with a beaver hat, which is a tremendous comfortable hat. Lower crown, very stylish. And it's, you know, stuff like that. We change the names because we're the, we are the manufacturer, basically. Uh-huh, very so good. Contact to the manufacturer, right. Now, now if you have non-Jewish manufacturers, are they creating the styles for you, whatever they decide? Because they also have non-Jewish business. And right. they have files on there. So are they tracking the the from hat similar to the non-Jewish hats that they're creating? Us, it, we're, we're my own company. It's, of course, making its own crowns and sole brims and so forth. Those we buy the we buy the, the forms. We manufacture the forms in Italy and give it to the hat manufacturer to use our forms on the hats that we, we, we sell. But they have their own forms, and sometimes we use their forms because it also matches what we use. So therefore, it's it's really it's it's a mix between our own forms and the forms that they have. Got it. Now let, let's go to Strimals. Have styles changed over time with Strimals? What's currently in vogue, and what have you seen happen over the past forty years or so as well when it comes to Strimals? Well, Strimals used to be used to be like a wafer. That's if you look at the old pictures from from a long time ago. They used to be very thin. They used to look like a wafer. Then they got wider, and then they got wider, and then they came to today's style. It almost looks like a spudic. I mean, they're so big, they're so tall, and they also have like a crown on top, which is a bunch of hair sticking out over the over the over the body of the Strimal. It's a totally different hat than it used to ever be. So it yes, the styles definitely changed on Strimals. That's for sure. It sounds like the yeshivish styles on the black hats have gone in the opposite direction of Strimals, with Shrimals getting bigger and other hats getting uh, more narrow. 
Well, the, the hat has been, you know, the, if you look at, the, I don't want to say this, you look at the 1950s and ball games, everyone, you wore a hat to a baseball game. That's just the way it was. A Strymel is definitely a Jewish hat, so therefore it can't, it can't go along with the styles. So the styles have to be made by the manufacturers. It, that, that definitely doesn't go with the trend of regular modern clothing, that's for sure. Uh, so we have a Chukas Agoyim issue when we copy the Nandus and the Black Cats, but the Strymels can do whatever they want because they're not copying secular society. Absolutely. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yeah, got it. Now you, you they saw... got to change, too. They got to make their money the same way. They have to change the styles, too. That's how you buy the Strymel, even though they buy it every 20 years, and they have to buy it every couple of years. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's not really the same. Can wear what is last year's style. Absolutely got it. Now, let's talk about other clothing, because you sell other types of clothing as well. What do you see in current trends, and who makes the decisions on, on those styles? Is it what you said? You were simply getting... Nails and narrower pants, or the other things going on in uh, other from clothing. The clothing is very interesting. The yeshiva guy that's wearing his yeshiva clothing is always going to wear. Okay, maybe the buttons will go according to the trend. In other words, when three buttons were in style, and it takes a longer time for a from guy to get into two buttons, which is now everyone's in two buttons because it's been like that for a long time. But you know, they're wearing the same, the same, it's not, it's not tied. The yeshivish guy's wearing regular clothing with a wider bottom and they're not tied around the legs and so forth. Whereas the trendy guys, which is, I'd say it's like 70 to 80% of my market, which everyone wants to be in style. Therefore, they're definitely wearing what everyone's wearing in, in, the, in the whole world. Although suits, today's out of vogue. You're going to a business meeting and with a bank, you can come in with ripped clothing and so forth. Whereas... The from Oilam always has Shabbos, and therefore they're always buying suits, and the Bar Mitzvah boys are always buying suits. They are definitely buying what's more in style. It could be, you know, it's 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 tighter shirts, it's tighter pants, and so forth. That's what they're buying, and that's what we sell. And that's the uh, same thing just around the calves. We were tapering, even now we're tapering for for some for some boys. So that's just the way that's the way it's working. It's you know like like you said like a hookah That's the way it's working. That's you know, but that's how we make our money. So I can't complain. And so that's the same styles we see in secular society as well. With what we have uh, in our Absolutely. society, Absolutely. very good. Uh, Ruby, how can I plug the stores a little bit more? Hatbox and uh, the locations wherever you want to buy. There's a hat. I, I think they plug themselves. We're 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 the clothier to the to the middle guy to the middle better guy. Listen, that's what we do. Is that we we take what everyone wants and we sell it at a reasonable price. And we service the heck out of our customers the best that we can, including tailoring whatever we have to do. And really, that, that's what I've been doing. And Hashem sent me a brochure with that, and I appreciate it. And how about uh, checking shotness? Is that done as well? We have in our stores, we have someone check, the, the independent of us. I don't, you know, we don't check. I don't tell you it's good or not. We have guides that come in and check for the for the item. That's how they check the shotness. This is full service, Abrami. Keep up the good work, and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thank you for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Thank you.